Alright everybody and welcome to another episode of Cinecult Podcast. I am your cultist host Cordell and joining me tonight is Luke. What's up man? This podcast is doomed. (laughs) We are bringing you a special episode to commemorate the first Friday the 13th of the year with a review of part 8. Jason Takes Manhattan. Now, before we get into the movie, I just want to start off. I know on the last show, we told you we were giving you guys uh, a review of Jim Carrey's The Grinch. But we are all kind of like going, (laughs) we're kind of like all going through some like anti-Christmas, you know, we've been through Christmas, we did some Christmas movies, we want to kind of like bring it up a notch. So, yeah, so so we were we were going to do the Grinch and I really tried folks. I really did cuz Cordell's like, "All right, we're going to do the Grinch." And I was like, "We got to do a Friday movie cuz it's Friday the 13th." Man, I couldn't even get 20 minutes into the Grinch. I really tried. I just was like, "I cannot fucking do this right now." So I text Cordell. I'm like, "We're not doing the Grinch." <laughs> yeah, we will do the Grinch eventually, just probably not right now considering Christmas just passed. We are kind of sick of Christmas. We kind of want to do some other stuff. So you got three hours of Die Hard, people. Yes. Be content with that. You will get the Grinch eventually. Just not right now. Not tonight. Oh, no. Tonight we have something far, far worse. Oh, I was going to say far better. (laughs) To be discussed, I suppose. Um. But I guess we should start off with uh, what have you been watching? And I'll let you take the reins on this, as always. All right. Yeah, it's it's crazy. It's already uh, mid-January. Um, what have I been watching? I'll just kind of kind of gloss through this a little bit, Cordell. Um, right after the new year, I sat down and watched that Glass Onion everyone has been talking about, the sequel to Knives Out. Ooh, yes, I had I did watch that. Oh, did you? Okay, now did you I, see Knives Out? I yes, I did. I actually own it. I actually uh, bought the first one because it had um, it had Jamie Lee Curtis and oh, I'm blanking on her name. The the main chick? No, 
not her. Uh, Catherine something. I I, I don't know. <laughs> Hold on, I'm looking up the. I'm looking well, anyway, up... um, I'm gonna hit you with a controversial opinion, Cordell. Okay. You know this lady's name. I liked Glass Onion a little bit more than Knives Out. It was uh, well, because I already shared my opinions on it on the last podcast because I'd watched it. Oh, did you? But, I totally remember that. <laughs> um, oh, her, uh, the actress's name was Catherine Langford. Yeah. Um, I I know a you know that Netflix show Thirteen Reasons Why. Oh yeah, I make fun of that on a daily basis. Yeah, she was actually one of the main characters. She was the girl that committed suicide in that show. Oh, really? Yeah, she actually did a pretty good job. That's actually one of my favorite uh, teen drama shows. See, all I know about that series is that Netflix, like, pussied out and gave in to the haters. And, like, they, they, they cut it out after a while, right? They, like, cut out the suicide or whatever. Yeah, they changed. They, they went and reshot the suicide scene. See, that's bullshit, man. We are anti-censorship, or at least I am, here on Cynical Podcast, and that is fucked up. Fuck you, Netflix. But, so, you you like the second one a little better. Yeah, so Glass Onion. So, um, Knives Out. I think Knives Out is probably a better-made movie, honestly. Um, but Glass Onion is a little more of a traditional murder mystery, and at least for me... I like the whole, like, I liked all the buildup, you know what I mean, Cordell? Because I was like, I like playing that game of, like, well, who's going to get murdered and who could be murdered? So then um, when it all kind of builds up to the scene, and I won't spoil it, but, like, where someone does get murdered, that was, like, that's more my style, you know what I mean? Because even then they went into, like, the flashback and all that, but I'm still trying to figure out, like, well, who murdered that person, you know what I mean? So I, I like that a lot. Well, you see, both the movies, both of the movies to me have like a clue feel to them. But I would actually go and say that the first Knives Out is a little more traditional of like a murder mystery. And then the second one, which I'm going to say is pretty good. Like, I, you know, the second one has done so well that they obviously are probably going to do a third one. Oh, they already they're already locked in for it, I think. But I think the difference is, and I mean, obviously, there was a difference between the second movie and the first movie. And, you know, the first movie didn't really rely so much on flashback. Whereas the second one does. I'll be honest, I got a little confused. I had to go and watch it again because suddenly, like, the, like, you know, the first 25 minutes of the movie is setting it up. And then, like, the next half hour is, like, a flashback. And I'm like, well, wait, what? What happened? Yeah. yeah. So so I do have to say, though, one, I think the flashback goes on for, like, way too long. So I, I do have criticism with that. Like, I, I like the flashback, but I do think that goes on a little long. And I think the ending is kind of I, – I wasn't a big fan of the ending, Cordell. I, I don't know how to describe it without spoiling it. But um, basically, I thought the ending was going to be a little darker and like go this one way. I'm, I'm like they, they could they could have cut to black a couple minutes before the ending and I would have loved it. But I don't think. See, this movie could have had like a good darker ending, I guess. Maybe do you get what I'm getting at there. 
Like, oh, I do. I get what you're Ryan saying. Jo- so Ryan Johnson, he had the opportunity to make this kind of like, I don't know if you're familiar with the, the murder on the Orient Express. Uh, I have not seen it, but I've heard of it. Like, like they really had, he made, he could have made it a little more cynical and that would have at least stuck with my sensibilities. But instead, um, I think, I don't think he has it in him to like, not do the, like, we have to have the happy ending. You know what I mean? So that was kind of like, I, I wasn't a huge fan of the ending, but, um, yeah, overall, I mean, it definitely relies more on like gross stereotypes, like, Yuck, yuck, yuck. Dave Bautista is Joe Rogan. Ha, ha, ha. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and like, you know, it's like, OK, Ryan, I get it. Like, I get I, it. You know, I only recognized four people out of the entire cast. Obviously, I know exactly who uh, the guy that plays Blanc is. I mean, he's James Bond, for God's sakes. Um, uh, I recognized Bautista. Ed Norton, of course. Ed Norton. I mean, who can forget? I mean, if you either know, at least for me, you either know, you know, Ed Norton from three things, either the Hulk, American History X or Fight Club. Uh, Fight Club for me, all the way. And then Fight Club. (laughs) you know, that one woman, uh, she was like the senator or something. Yeah, Catherine Hahn. She's in all these like comedy movies. Yeah, you know who she is, right? She's yeah. an M- she's an MCU alumni right now. Oh, is she? Yeah, she plays uh, Agatha Hawkins. So Agatha, she's like I don't know. I don't know if you watched WandaVision. Cordell, you know how much I care about the MCU. <laughs> yeah, but apparently she's getting her own show on the MCU. Oh, really? That's interesting. Yeah, it's called I Agatha. Mean, she's pretty good, but. Yeah, I mean, overall, it's all right. I, I, I liked it. I, I mean, I like the setup of it a little bit more than Knives Out, like I said. But overall, Knives Out is still probably the better movie. Um, oh, but yeah. I mean, come on, man. It's got Chris Evans in it. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. a role that I never would expect from him. But, uh, yeah, Glass Onion, check it out. Had a lot of fun with it. Um, it's on Netflix. Check it out. It is. Uh, what else? I rewatched the menu just really quickly, which held up incredibly. If you have HBO Cordell, check that shit out. Um, love that to death on a second viewing. And then before we knew it, we were up to Friday the 13th. And I'll just spin through this real quick because presumably we'll cover these at some point on the show. But I watched part one, part two and Freddy versus Jason classics man and uh yeah i mean what can you say i think friday one and two are pretty damn near perfect movies um friday one dude i just i love the characters in that film so much see that this is back when slasher films like all those guys are likable you know what i mean cordell here's the thing that people got to remember about the first friday the 13th and i think a lot of slasher movies in like 1980 1981 is it was at that when the slasher movie really took off, it wasn't about the gore, the kills, the titties, you know. And yes, Friday the 13th really did delve into that, but it was more of a it was like a whodunit. You never saw the killer on screen. And, and, oh, and I mean, that's just, such a shocker. And you know, I mean. Some of the movies that I watched uh, that I can't wait to talk about, 
kind of had that whodunit. My bloody Valentine had the whodunit. I, you know, early early slashers were really more about like who's doing the killing rather than like how many tits can we get in the movie. Oh yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean Friday one and two. What can you say? I'd love to cover those someday, but just really fun. Well, we'll, we'll cover them. Like I plan on covering them. I mean, and can can we just say that the first Friday the Thirteenth? You know, I know she's only in it for like the last 15 minutes of the movie, but can we please just acknowledge how much of a great villainess uh, Betsy Palmer is in that movie? Oh, dude, she's awesome. She plays it so well. Like, um, I, I mean, it's just, it's cinema magic every time when uh, she's like, did you know a young boy drowned here? And just they play the score and it's just like, his name was Jason. And you're just like, yes, this is where like the legend is born. You know, it's funny you say that because have you ever watched the His Name Was Jason documentary? Uh, A long time ago. I remember it's not very good. Uh, I actually thought it was pretty good. It was like the first documentary we had before, you know, Crystal Lake Memories came out. Yeah, but isn't it? It's like an hour and a half, so they can't possibly give you like. It's very like condensed, I guess. Yeah, it's condensed, but I still I would argue that it's still pretty good, especially when it's being uh when it's being like hosted by Tom Savini. I mean, come on, you got Tom, Tom Savini. Savini's in. Um, the best part about Crystal Lake Memories is when it's hosted by Corey Feldman, and he just looks like cracked out of his mind. <laughs> that shit's hilarious. But I just love how they ended the his name was Jason documentary. There's is those two lines from Pamela is she goes, did you know a young boy drowned? His name was Jason. And then it, the it, the documentary just ends. To, chi, 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 ha, 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 ha. Like, ooh, I love it. But yeah, it's Friday one and two. Uh, Freddy versus Jason is a movie. I'll just really quick say I, I go back and forth. I feel like every time I watch it, I'm like, yeah, this is kind of sucky. And then I rewatch it. I'm like, no, this is awesome. Um, it definitely is kind of a weird time capsule to the year 2002 or whatever. Uh, what with all the, you know, like uh, Rob Zombie metal type shit, and uh, which is good. I like that. But like, oh, it's a it's a very it, it's very dated in some respects. But uh, anytime they fight is fucking awesome. Um, the ending of the movie is amazing. It is dated, but it's probably one of the best crossovers we've ever gotten. I mean, oh, yeah. do I need to remind you about Alien vs. Predator? Hey, I like the first Alien vs. Predator, man. I Don't do, be- too. But we are in a very small minority group about that. Dude, the first Alien vs. Predator is just a fun time. I don't know how people can hate that movie. Okay, let's talk about AVP2. Oh, I haven't seen it. You know what, Cordell? I hear some people who say it's pretty good. Um, I haven't seen it, so I'll preserve well, judgment. You just got a defense. Well, I haven't seen that. No. Well, that's not a very good defense. But, uh, yeah, Freddy vs. Jason. And then the last thing, because I can see Cordell, Cordell's itching. He's like, I gotta, he's, he's got shit to talk about. <clears throat> um, I watched Dario Argento's Four Flies on Grey Velvet. Have you heard of this one, Cordell? Uh, I have not. I'm so very ignorant when it comes to Argento. I know Phenomena. 
I know his Three Mothers films. Uh, obviously, Suspiria is renowned. Yeah, so it's um, the last of his first trilogy of movies is Animal Trilogy, which is uh, Bird of the Crystal Plumage, uh, Cat of Nine Tails, and then Four Flies of the um, which are all pretty good movies. I'm a big fan of those. They're very traditional kind of giallos. And, uh, yeah, I picked up the new release of this from Severn Films on Black Friday and finally got around to watching it. And it's got a pretty good setup, Cordell. It's about a rock musician drummer who is getting stalked by an old man. And uh, so he finally he walks up to this guy after practice one night. and He's basically like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Why are you stalking me? And him and the old guy get into a fight and the old guy pulls a knife on him and he ends up stabbing him in self-defense. Well, come to find out, he realizes somebody is taking pictures of this all. And that same whoever starts breaking into his house, like attack, killing his cat, like strangling him at night, but telling him I'm not it's not time to kill you yet. And uh, so it kind of devolves into this like paranoia, like who amongst my friends is, you know, blackmailing me slash trying to kill me. So a psychological thriller. Yeah, and the people around him start getting picked off one by one. Like, he hires a private investigator. His wife starts getting menaced. Their maid does. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a fun little fun little thriller. Got I did not see the ending coming. It's got a good twist. And, uh, yeah, I mean, not too much to say about it. I'd like to talk some Argento with you at some point. Um, but, yeah, highly recommend it. I think the Blu-ray is out of stock. For now, but if you ever see it anywhere for a reasonable price, check it out, folks. And yeah, that's all I had. What do you got, Cordo? I could always probably ask Nudie if he could, uh, because Nudie actually did me a favor. He's got like this, uh, playlist that he's got going on on the Plex app. Ah, uh, okay. And I guess with Plex, you can invite friends to like, where your friends can access your library and watch whatever you have in the, in like all your stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, Nudie was kind enough to hook me up, so now I have like access to like a shit ton of horror movies that I otherwise would not be able to find on DVD. Oh yeah. As a matter of fact, some of the movies that I'm about to uh, list here, I was able to watch courtesy of Nudie. Shout out to Nudie. Uh, so the first movie that I watched on New Year's actually was New Year's Evil. Evil. Oh my God, I had to call you and do that. I know he did. I had I to call you up and be like, Hey, Luke, New <laughs> Year's Evil. Um. We have got to talk about this on the show one of these days because I lo- this movie was. Uh, I- I'm trying to figure out how I feel about the movie. Like the movie was interesting. Obviously, you know, it came out what 1980, one of the very first few slashers. It's um, a murder uh, mystery, like what you were talking about. I have a lot of issues with the protagonist though that we're supposed to follow. Ooh, the uh, radio DJ, right? Yes. It seems like when they made this movie, they were like content to, oh, well, we got to break all the rules. You can't be 
that attractive. I mean, the woman's like what? Like, you know, late 30s, early 40s when they made this movie? Uh, it has been a very long time since I've seen it, so I will be no help there. <laughs> um, you know, the kills were kind of, the movie's not bloody. I mean, there's blood, but there's not like, you don't get to really see the killing happen. You kind of get, you, you, it's like those early slashes. You don't see the deaths, but you see the aftermath. Um, but. You know, it was a good film. It's something I would like to talk about on the show at some point. I think most of the time we'll probably just be going through the show making that weird sound that he does. Um, be fun. <laughs> and the next movie that I watched was April Fool's Day. Ah, okay. Original 1986 film. Now, it's a weird sort of slasher film. I have to admit, I listened, you know, long before I ever saw this movie, I had already listened to the movie review by Now Playing. So I knew the twist going in. But, but when I went in, I was like, okay, I know the twist, but can I still appreciate the setup before the twist. Can I appreciate how, like, obviously, yeah, you know, even if you know the twist, you want to know, well, how well do they set it up before they, they pull a fast one on you? And I'm going to be honest, I think April Fool's Day holds up pretty well. It's, really? a, it's a slasher up until, you know, that one moment where you realize, oh, this isn't really a slasher at all. But it, it's a, it's a fun movie. Um, Amy Steele, who is Jenny and what is it Jenny or Jenny in Friday the Thirteenth Part Two? Jenny. Yeah, uh, Amy Steele's in it. So I uh, don't know if you want to talk about this movie sometime, but definitely it's uh, worth uh, checking out. Yeah, I've um, I've watched like parts of it. I've never actually sat down and gone through it. But, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely one I would like to check out. Here's a lot of these old slashers that I've been going back to watch, some of them have, like, you know, remakes. Mm-hmm. Like, April Fool's Day did get a 2006 remake, but I do not waste my time on remakes anymore. I don't know. No, I think after... I think after the Elm Street remake, I was like, yeah, I'm really not into this. <laughs> oh, I kind of like the Elm Street remake. Oh, come on. Boo this man. No, Ooh. no. I, uh, what's his name? Jackie Earl Haley. He's a good Freddy. He really is. No, I'm not saying. Well, okay. I will concede a little bit of ground that I think Jackie Earl did a decent job. For the shoes that he had to fill. He has some good, like, the whole thing when he's got the guy strung up and he's like, you know, it only takes the human body seven minutes to bleed out or whatever. And then he's like, we got six more minutes to play. He's, he's like, fucking brutal in that movie, man. He is a mean motherfucker. Yeah, my problem is just really with the story. I mean, the story, is it's identical to the first movie for the most part, which is pretty crappy. <laughs> 
I don't know. I, I, I admit it's been, you know, probably five years since I've seen it, but I, I, I've always kind of enjoyed that movie a little bit. Um, I also watched the 1949 John Wayne classic Sands of Iwo Jima. Ah, uh, back on the back on the World War Two kick. Well, how do you feel about John Wayne, my man? I I mean, I've, the only thing of his I've seen I could actually talk about is True Grit, which I like. But mm-hmm. other than that, I couldn't tell you too much about the guy. I mean, I know he's, you know, he's the prototypical white hat Western kind of dude. But uh, a little definitely before my time. <laughs> well, I'm not going to be I'm not going to sit there and be like, oh, yeah, John Wayne. I don't particularly like Westerns in general. But I have a soft spot for John Wayne because it's like one of the last connections that I have to my grandmother. Mm-hmm. So usually I watch these movies and I think about her because she just loved John Wayne. I mean, I, I cannot begin to describe. She was John Wayne was to her what horror is to us. Mm. But. Uh, Sands of Iwo Jima, you know, it's a it's a 1949 film. It uh, John Wayne plays a Marine sergeant named Stryker who's uh, gets these new recruits in and he's got to, you know, get them trained and all like ready to battle the Japanese. Um, the movie's called Sands of Iwo Jima. But Iwo Jima is really only like the last 20 minutes of the movie at best we do get I, I think it's supposed to be the battle of Tawa in the middle of the movie but there's not a whole lot of action it's mostly like just a bunch of like you know bullshitting at boot camp and everyone griping about how they hate John Wayne <laughs> it's kind of like uh you ever see the Pacific miniseries uh yes, it's kind of like the, the the Iwo Jima in that episode is kind of where we follow the the one dude who's spoiler gets killed at Iwo Jima. But like it's like forty minutes of it is like you get to know the guy and love him and he gets married so on and so forth. And then it's the Iwo Jima shit at the end, which is very good episode. It's it's just really sad actually. <laughs> but you know the movie ends. They do recreate the iconic flag rising, and uh. You know, it was one of the first uh, it was one of the first movies that won John Wayne an Academy Award. So huh. uh, it's a decent if you're into old movies like that, check it out. You can find it on like eBay, Amazon for a couple bucks. Um, Got two uh, more. here. I want to watch Cordell. Let me let me digress for a second. Have you seen the the, the flags of our fathers and letters from Iwo Jima? Double yes, C? I do. Actually, those are some pretty damn good movies. I want to watch both of those. Are they are they pretty good? They are. Um, flags of our fathers pretty much kind of like jumps like between the present and back and and the past, you know, because it's like the story of, you know. This guy and his buddies. Mm-hmm. Whereas Letters from Iwo Jima is a little bit more of a war film because it's uh, telling the story from the Japanese point of view. 
but you know they're pretty they're really two good companion pieces i definitely recommend you uh get them and check them out if you ever get a chance yeah i definitely want to want to watch those i give clint eastwood a lot of credit for like doing doing a movie from the japanese point of view on iwo jima that's like crazy well, I think you're seeing that with war movies in Hollywood now is, you know, back in like, you know, the 70s, 80s, the 90s, even the early 2000s, you know, we didn't really think about the POV of the other side. But, you know, I think Clint Eastwood really wanted to kind of be like, you know, they were, you know, when when people fight wars both sides are like the people who fight on both sides are all human beings you know we see what it is from our perspective what is it like from their perspective you know what i'm saying yeah and that's something i liked about um band of brothers in the pacific because those those two miniseries really go out of their way to like it's not just rah-rah america it's very um no i mean there are some really shocking scenes in those uh miniseries where you you see Americans who are usually the good guys do some pretty horrendous shit because war, you know, turns everybody into animals. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I, Band of Brothers is the better story. Um, but I honestly, I think the Pacific is way more like emotional. Like that's just it gets fucking crazy in that in that series. Um, <laughs> now that we went on our World War Two digression. Yes. Um. I watched the first three episodes of the new Star Wars show, The Bad Batch, season two. Never heard of it. What's it about? <sighs> uh, okay, just kind of give you some like behind. So when Dave Filoni and Disney decided to give the fans a proper season finale to the Clone Wars show, they introduced this uh, elite team of clones called Clone Force 99. And these clones, they all look different. They all have different personalities. They're not like, you know, the regular clones. And so Bad Batch kind of picks up, like, right at the end of the Clone Wars, like when Order 66 is activated. Okay. And, you know, these clones, they get, they remove their inhibitor chips and they're like, you know, we don't like what the Empire is doing. So they strike out on their own. Actually, if you like the Clone Wars TV show, if you like the Rebels TV show, I do think that you may get into Bad Batch. Uh, Well, I never was a big fan of either of those, so. But I'm glad it's uh, they're giving the people what they want. Well, I'll just, you know, spoilers. The third uh, episode for season two, uh, we introduced Commander Cody, if that name means anything to you. Yeah, he's the orange fucker who screws over everyone. Yeah, um, kind of going a little. So yeah. like in the Clone the Wars TV show, you got. In the Clone Wars TV show, you really got to see his relationship with Obi-Wan explored. And, you know, it, it, by the time, you know, you watch Revenge of the Sith, it's like, oh, well, these guys are like really good friends with each other. They they know each other inside and out. Which, you know, at the end makes the betrayal all the more heartbreaking, you know. 
Yeah, but if you just watch the movies, he gets away with it. Yeah. But I guess I guess they pick back up with the story here, huh? Well, and and you see, that's what I. Mm, can I go on a Star Wars tangent for a minute? Rant away, my friend. When I hear people being like, "Oh, if you like those kids' cartoons, you're not a real Star Wars fan. You just gotta watch the movies or read the books." It's like the TV shows answer some of the questions that the movies laid you know in episode two they kept talking about a dude named cypher diaz mm-hmm. well we kind of get an episode about cypher diaz in the clone wars animated show no and i know i know a lot of star wars fans like personally and i i do know i've seen some of the clone wars i know it, it isn't the kitty fair that like the first season is like it definitely does get dark like you know i've seen the clips where maul or whoever beheads all those people and, sh- and i've seen the clone troopers storming geonosis d-day style like. there is literally <laughs> a plot line that involves what basically tantamounts to either slave track trafficking or sex slave trafficking but yeah, yeah i mean i know it got pretty especially as it went on right they kind of they went for the more mature themes and stuff see my <laughs> issue cordell like everything is i just don't have the time <laughs> but you know yeah, you know i guess that makes sense you know you gotta have time to watch like, this I, I definitely i respect the clone wars even if i haven't seen it well, I mean, it's not just the Clone Wars, but even like the Rebel show, which we can't, you know, it kind of give puts us in the perspective of, you know, a group of rebels that are not Luke Skywalker or Leia or Han Solo. But it kind of shows us like, hey, how did people react to the growing rebellion within the Empire? But, you know, I think the shows are pretty good. I always like to revisit them from time to time, go back and revisit revisit some episodes. You know what I think most people's opinion, negative opinions of the Clone Wars is? Is what? They think about that goddamn movie that came out in 2008. Oh, yeah, the movie is terrible. They took four episodes that if you watch the series, the episodes are in there. And let me tell you, they work better as standalone episodes instead of one full fucking movie. But that. That movie left a really bad taste in people's mouths, especially when we got Stinky the Hut. Yeah, I mean, that stuff is uh, <laughs> about that, the better, presumably. <laughs> Luke, do you want a little stinky plush? No, no, I do not. <laughs> no, <laughs> but yep, the Bad Batch. I started season two of that and started off pretty strong, so I'm pretty excited to see where it goes from now. And the last thing on my list that I watched, I actually just watched it this evening before we started recording. I watched the original 1980 Taylor Train. Oh, what did you think? I thought, you know, for an early slasher, it's pretty good. It It's really atmospheric. Let me tell you that. You yeah, know, like cold winter kind of kind of atmosphere. Cold winter, the dark hallways of a train. Um, I, I got to say, we'll, we'll talk about the movie on here at some point. But 
that prank that they pull on that poor kid at the beginning. Yeah, that's fucked up, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. man, I have never seen someone flip their shit that spectacularly. I gotta say, though, I agree with the assessment. Like, I don't get how that, like, drives him, drives him crazy. That dude was already nuts to begin with. Uh, you know what? When they when we see him again at the end of the movie, like when he finally has Jamie Lee Curtis like cornered and shit, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, did they really have to get a kid that looked like Richard Ramirez? Well, you know it's funny because and, and this is all hearsay, Cordell. This is this comes from like my vague memories of like reading forums back in the day. I think the guy who played Kenny had some like real life personal issues or like was in jail for something. Like, I don't know. There was something fucked up about that guy. And that, that's all hearsay. So I'm not saying that on the record, but that's just what I remember reading back in the day is that he was he had some real life like problems. Hey, man, when you're going to make a movie, you want everything to be authentic. You need a fucked yes. up killer. Get someone who's really fucked up. He's a weird-looking motherfucker. <laughs> he is. Like, I'm telling you, he looks like fucking Ramirez. But, uh, yeah, I like Terror Train a lot. I mean, I think the the death where he's the lizard and smashes that guy into the mirror, that's pretty cool. He, he, and, you know, I, I wanted to watch it because you've been kind of, like, singing praise about the, you know, reboot and its sequel that just came out. So I was like, well... Gonna have to watch these, but I didn't want to watch them until I'd seen the original. Yeah, you should check out the remake. I'd be interested. So the remake for the uh, until the last ten minutes is pretty much the same exact movie, just updated. And at least my memory is I like the remake a little bit better. But I'd be interested to hear your take on it. Well, I will put it on my list. I I would have thought you watched the Prowler. I saw you got that in. Um. I'm waiting, like, I got it in, and I'm ready to watch it, but, like, here's the thing, uh, so I'm a little bit weird, uh, when it comes to this stuff, like, when I'm going to watch a, a slasher movie for the first time, you know, because I still, this is gonna sound like a little bit pussy, but, I still, um, am very squeamish with gore and special effects mm -hmm. so i'm trying to hype myself up for it if that makes sense because from yeah. what i understand the prowler is probably what the prowler came out the same year as my bloody valentine and it's been yeah. touted as one of the bloodiest slashes of the de of the genre Dude, the Prowl the Prowler's kills are really like that's Tom Savini at his peak. I mean, there's a lot of those deaths where you're basically like, are they really killing that person? Like, I won't spoil it, Cordell, but someone there's a couple scenes where I can, I can I've squinted and freeze framed and I just can't tell. I'm like, they're really killing that person. Like, it just well, looks that good. You know, I think when I think of the Prowler, I think of that iconic scene of where the killer has that guy by the mouth. And he's jamming that bayonet through his skull. And like yeah. the guy's eyes go white or something like that. Yeah, that's the one everyone remembers. There's a couple scenes later on that like at least affect me a little more where like the killer does some nasty shit to people with his with his knife. And it's uh, I'm like, how did they do that? So 
no, I got the prowler here and I'm ready and I'm like, I'm just trying to hype myself up being like, okay, okay, gore. Just don't eat, don't drink, don't do anything <laughs> that might make you sick. Nah, you'll you'll like the prowler, dude. It's got it's got a lot of it's got a big World War Two connection, actually. Yeah, well, I knew that. Uh, um, I'm just trying to figure out how the prowler got away with all that blood and gore, and my bloody Valentine didn't. I oh, because my bloody Valentine was a um, Paramount, right? It was a mainstream release. I think the prowler was more of like a little indie kind of. It flew under the radar, you know. Mm, okay, I I see now. I because you see, I had thought the Prowler had been like a mainstream production too. Nah, the Prowler was a little. It was made in New Jersey, actually, a little indie indie production. But it did get Joe Zito the uh, Friday the Thirteenth final chapter gig. But that is all I have been watching for now. Uh, I guess before we do the movie, we got some news. Did you have some news you wanted to share? I do, but Cordell was teasing me earlier. So what's what's this news item you have? Okay. <laughs> okay. Try to contain your laughter, okay? All right. Um, so this news story was from August of 2019. But I have just found out about this recently, and I really wanted to read this because I could not fucking believe it. The the name of this article, German Theme Park Shuts Down Swastika-Shaped Ride. I mean, that's amusing just hearing you say it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's, that's pretty funny. The park's owner said he did not notice the ride's resemblance to the Nazi symbol. Public display of the swastika is banned in Germany. Now, I'm looking at a picture of this. I don't see how you could not see it. All right, I'm I'm Googling this. Oh man, yeah. It, it literally, it's like a Ferris wheel, but like with two swastikas. Oh man. Let me continue. Let me let me read this for you. Berlin, an amusement park in Germany, shut down a new attraction this week after complaints that it resembled a pair of giant spinning swastikas. The ride, called the Eagle's Flight, mmm, that sounds kind of coincidental, doesn't it? <laughs> Considering Hitler always named all his shit after eagles and wolves. Included. do that in America, too, to be fair. (laughs) Included a set of four eagle-shaped cars, each connected at a right angle to a central axis, giving it a swastika-like appearance that was only amplified when it rose from the ground and twirled in the air. Officials from the park, Tatsmania... Sounds like something from Warner Brothers. Uh, that, that, that's all, folks. <laughs> Did not respond to messages seeking comment on Wednesday. Rudiger Braun, owner of the park, told reporters that until the backlash, he did not notice the ride's resemblance to an iconic symbol of Nazi Germany. Like, again, how do you not fucking notice that? 
Yeah, I'm looking at a pic of this thing, and it's like, well, yeah, it, it looks. I it, <laughs> it literally looks like there's no way to not see it. Oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> How to not see it? <laughs> that was totally intentional. Oh, that's funny, Cordell. <laughs> Jesus. Oh. Yeah, anyhow, Mr. Ball went on to say he apologizes to all persons who feel disturbed, said the ride would be taken down and redesigned to have three cars instead of four. Um, then we will have this problem under control. When the ride first took note on social media, the reaction was a predictable stew of outrage, mockery, and tasteless humor. One commenter on Reddit remarked, Dr. Goebel approves. <laughs> That's uh, yeah, but and there's there's some people they interviewed some people uh that were like in the park and stuff like that, and one person was like makes you wonder who designed this, what was going through their mind, and then other person says, well I don't know what was going on, like the the kids don't notice it, but like uh yeah Ooh, that's funny that's that's pretty great. If you ever get a chance, watch the video of the of the ride like in action. Oh, like, I, I just did. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Oh my gosh! Oh, oh my god! Stay classy, Germany. <laughs> All right, you got any other news, Cordell? Uh, no. I just want to tell the Germans to wear that Hugo Boss like a boss. It is it is pretty snazzy, I mean. Alright. I got two pieces of news to tie into our movie, Cordell. One okay. is happy well, okay, actually, one is sort of happy news, I think, and the other is sad news. So what do you want? Oh, get the sad news out of the way. Alright. Um unfortunately the Friday the thirteenth game is getting delisted this month. No, not that Friday the 13th game. You're talking about the puzzle game on mobile. I am. I yep. love the puzzle game. Have you played this, Cordell? I have. I had it when I owned my uh, Android device. And when I read that article, I immediately downloaded the game. And I think you can get it on, like, PC. I think you can get it on PlayStation. Um, yeah, so those fuckers at the Friday the 13th lawsuits are at it again, kids, because the killer puzzle game is getting delisted January 23rd. Meaning, if this episode goes out on the 16th, you guys have one week. Whatever you have, buy this fucking game, because these rat bastards are taking it away from us. It's a lot of fun, honestly. Strong language. <laughs> Well, no, it's fucked up, right? Like, there's a lot of good Friday content there. I don't know. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, you know, I yeah, I, I don't, uh, I don't, um, I don't understand. I th- I thought they had this lawsuit thing figured out. Nope. You know, it kind it it, it kind of like bothers me, you know, because I don't know if you follow the toy company NECA on social media? Uh, yeah, I keep up every once in a while with them. Yeah, they've been like, they just announced like a new Elsa, like Bride of Frankenstein figure they're working on. 
they're making a Ernie Reyes Jr. figure for the TMNT line. And in the comments, people are like, where's our Jason Part 8 figure? So, Wait. yeah. I don't know. That lawsuit been fucking over a lot of things. Oh, it fucked over the, the real game hard, man. Oh, my God. You know what you just reminded me of? What? By talking about, like, since we're talking Friday the 13th. There were two things, uh, or there was one other thing on my What Have I Been Watching that I did watch, but because it wasn't, like, an official movie movie, I forgot to add it. What was it? I went and I finally watched that Friday the 13th fan film, Bloodlines 2, or Vengeance 2 Bloodlines. Never heard of it. How was it? It is pretty good. It picks up where the first uh, Friday the 13th Vengeance uh, like ended. Um, you get some, you know, you got some Friday the 13th alumni in the film. Uh, C.J. Graham is in it playing Elias Voorhees, Jason's dad. Um, Tom Matthews came back to play Tommy Jarvis. Uh, what's her name? Nikki Brooks came back from part six. Uh, you remember the you remember the girl in part six who got her head smashed in the RV? Vaguely. She, Jason grabs her and drags her to the bathroom, and then he like slams her head into a wall. Yeah, and we get the like the face goes through the wall from the outside. Well, apparently. According to this movie, where it's supposed to be like a fan film that takes place 30 years after Jason lives, she survived, but her face was kind of fucked up. Well, that's kind of interesting. Um, he, one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite lines. There's a character played by Tamara Glynn. I don't know if you uh, know this actress. No, I don't. She played Tina. In Halloween 5. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, She plays like this random chick. And she's like telling these group of women. She doesn't know who Jason is. And they're like, well, aren't you from around here? She's like, no, I grew up in Haddonfield. <laughs> That's funny. So it's a fun. It, it, the movie's fun. It's got some really good kills. Uh, y- You know, I actually really do enjoy the fan films. So if you get a chance, check this out. There's this really one interesting kill where Jason like slams this bitch to the ground, digs his hand into this chick's back, and like basically rips her back off. Oh, that's cool. Like spine and everything. So uh, it's uh, it should be on YouTube. So if you get a chance, check it out. Yeah, I did watch. They did release the first five minutes of the Never Hike Alone 2, which is the fan film that I championed um, as the Jason part, uh, Jason Lives sequel because they bring back uh, Tom Matthews as Tommy Jarvis. And uh, that looked pretty good. It, they had like a kid dressed up as Tommy from part four, and it basically was like him like having flashbacks and nightmares about Jason. You know who else they got in the uh, Vengeance 2 movie? Who? They got Tom McLaughlin. 
Oh, really? Yeah, he came in and he played like the grandson of the caretaker Marv from part six. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, Cordell, all these fan films, like all these actors have come back. I know there was one film with like Tina from part seven and her doctor. Yep, they did that. I saw that, too. That one was weird because they tried tying it in with Halloween. Oh, really? Yeah, because it's like I got really confused at one point in the film because like there's this girl who's obviously got like a connection to Haddonfield. And then when Jason's got him cornered, she like uses her mystical powers and suddenly Michael Myers is standing there behind Jason. Oh, that sounds terrible. I I don't know. You'd have to check it out and tell me what you think. I think it's called Roseblood. Yeah. See, I don't want if I I don't want a fan film that does the cutesy like let's have Jason fight Michael though. I think that's kind of lame. I don't mind if they do that. I would love a I would love a Jason versus Michael Myers movie. Hell, I would like to see a Michael Myers versus Pinhead movie like they wanted to make. I I was lamenting when we watched Freddy versus Jason, right? Because I was like. You realize how this was supposed to end, right? And you, know, you know how that movie was supposed to end, Cordell? No, I did not actually enlighten me. Stroke my plumage. Ooh. Oh, we're getting we're getting kinky tonight. Um, <laughs> you know how that movie ends, right? Are you familiar with Freddy versus Jason, Cordell? Yeah, Jason walks out of the water, he's holding Freddy's head, and then Freddy winks at the camera. Well, originally, and this is this is a true story. The movie was supposed to end with Freddy and Jason fall into the lake and fall back down the hell. And they were supposed to, like, fall into hell, you know, like a fiery cavern or whatever, and, like, hop back up ready to fight. Well, then chains were going to come out and Pinhead was going to step out and basically be like, well, what's the issue, gentlemen? <laughs> and I'm like, that would that would have been, like, so fucking amazing, right? See- I like that because in my head, all these slasher movies take place in the same fucking universe. Oh, as, I mean, at, at the same time that Jason is killing teenagers, Michael is chasing his sister, Freddie is getting his teens, Harry Warden is chopping up people in a mine, um, Leatherface is killing Leatherface people. is doing his thing, the Prowler is doing his thing, like. <laughs> In my head, I just have, like, this basically Marvel Cinematic Universe of fucked up serial killers going after their victims. Oh, it's just like, no matter how much you hate Jason Goes to Hell, which I know a lot of people really do, like, at the ending, right, when Jason's mask is in the dirt and Freddy's glove pops up to grab it, like, how can you not stand up and cheer? Like, that's awesome. Did you did you ever catch in Jason Goes to Hell, they even had, like, a throwaway line to... Halloween. Oh, do they? I do know the Necronomicon is in like in the house and Jason goes to hell. When when that girl gets away from Steve and she runs to the cops to tell him where he is. She doesn't say the Voorhees house. She says the Myers house. Oh, does she really? Yeah, it's kind of like a throwaway line. That's awesome. I like Jason goes to hell. Cordell. I'm a, I'm a fan. I think it's a really dumb movie, but it's got a lot of kills and it goes by really quick. Oh, well, oddly enough, that's how I feel about tonight's movie. Oh, we're gonna we're gonna have fight. We're gonna fight tonight. Then I oh, well, we'll get into it. <laughs> uh, now, what was the good news that you had? 
Okay, so remember how in our last show, listeners, we uh, talked about the Friday prequel series that I think I think me and Cordell both were like, this is stupid. Yeah, I, I'm I'm just kind of like, eh. So we got some more details. Did you see this? Um, I saw something that Adrian King was coming back. Yes. Yeah, so here's here's the the scoop. Uh, Crystal Lake is described as an expanded prequel to the Friday the 13th franchise. The show will be written by Brian Fuller, who's the showrunner and executive producer. Uh, Victor Miller is executive producing as well. Um, I guess they had a Friday the 13th Part 3 screening last night, which, interestingly, I was supposed to go see it in actual 3D on Friday the 13th, but I had some family stuff come up, so I wasn't able to, sadly. but he provided an update that Kevin Williamson of Scream fame will be writing an episode. And original Friday girl Adrian King will have a reoccurring role. I guess they start writing within this month. They're going to they are going to get Harry Manfredini to uh, create a score. And basically, they've pitched four seasons for Crystal Lake, but only one has been ordered so far. And they uh, have, Fuller they have like a story in mind if they want to do four fucking seasons. Fuller was asked if he could confirm Pamela Voorhees would be in it. And he replied, quote, we're honestly going to be covering it all. The series is covering the life and times of these two characters, presumably Pamela and Jason. Hmm. So, again, I mean, I'm glad that they're getting some original people back, but I still maintain Cordell. I don't really care about a prequel. I really don't. I See, my my thing is, fun. if they're going to have Pamela and Jason, they have to bring in Elias Voorhees. I know Tom McLaughlin wanted to do that in part six. I know that's what the fan films have done. But really, we have not had an official like canonical appearance of Elias Voorhees. Now, here's my one ray of hope, Cordell. Tell me what you think of this. Is I I am because because he says we're covering the life and times of Pamela and Jason, right? So what I hope for is what if only this first season is a prequel, right? And then what if this season ends with like Pamela getting beheaded? And then we like, you know, then we would jump into like a more TV series of Jason as an adult or something that that would be the only thing I would be like, okay, like, you know, that's what I that would be. All right. I might be able to go with that. I just don't know how you're going to end it with Pamela's head getting chopped off, because technically you just need to go watch the first movie for that. Yeah. Unless Unless they're going to remake the first movie within the series. Yeah, I don't like that. Um, Unless what they do is they end the first season with, uh, what was his name? Chris? Christy? Steve Christy. Steve Christy. Chris Christy. (laughs) (laughs) Same guy, you know, no biggie. Unless they end the first season with Steve Christie announcing his plans to open up Crystal Lake. And then that would give like fans, okay, now just watch the first movie. 
And then season two picks up in the aftermath of part one. See, I think it could work pretty good if they go into, because, like, you know, presumably before part two, adult Jason was still in the area and I presumably killing people. Right. So if you if you did a season of like Sackhead Jason, that would be pretty cool. I would love to see if every season was just taking place in between movies. I would love. Awesome. I would love to know how the fuck Jason went from a little boy in Toxic Sludge at the end of this movie of part eight to having his head. Like, you know what Jason looks like and Jason goes to hell. Well, it's interesting. I was going to bring that up later, Cordell, because I noticed something in this viewing of the movie. So I want to we'll talk about it. Because I have, like, my own kind of fan theory, like, headcanon for what happens. Well, I kind of have my own theory about what they were trying to do at the end of this movie. I did watch the, uh, like, the, I did watch, like, the 20-minute uh, um, making of featurette on the DVD. Uh, okay. And I will go ahead and say, you know, without spoiling too much, that the director of this movie, Rob Hedden, he did want... Like, he was told that this was going to be the last Jason movie. So I feel like every director has been told that, if you, like, know the series. Yeah, so he he wanted to basically, like, I don't know if he was trying to kill off Jason or if he was trying to kill off the evil, but we will get to it when we get to that scene. See, and I'm I'm one of those guys, Cordell, I don't know if you agree. To me, I feel like the Friday movies kind of, it, there is a through line. Like, none of them really reboot it. Um, like, I think there's a very clear, it goes, you know, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, Jason X, and then Freddy versus Jason happens before Jason X, obviously. But I would, I, I would agree with that, you know. But that being said, let's just face it, Friday the 13th is not the most stable of continuity <laughs> Even the remake, I kind of, I'm like, yeah, you know, that that kind of happened in between, you know, probably. No, I don't know when the remake happened. But. <laughs> no, the 2009 remake, that was just a bunch, that was just uh, Jared Pal- Paladecki going like, well, my friend just got, just was in the My Bloody Valentine remake. Give me a horror remake before we, before I have to go do the Supernatural show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, probably. I'm looking but. for my sister. Oh, she's being she's being chained up like a prisoner in Jason's underground cave. I take it you don't like the remake, sir. Oh, there are bits and pieces of it I like, but as a whole that movie's got that movie's got some problems. It does, but even tonight, I was tonight. I was thinking, I was like, you know what? I think the remake is way better than this movie. But okay, maybe showing my hand. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so those are the two pieces of Friday news. So um, yeah, I mean, we're getting this prequel series. So I guess as the year goes on, we shall find out more about it. Um, and yeah, download that game, guys, because the fuckers are taking it away. Oh, 
they need to figure something out with this lawsuit, man. They fucked up the Friday the 13th video game. Now they're taking this away from us. Mm -hmm. We haven't gotten any, like, and here's the thing is, I thought by now we were going to have a part eight Jason from NECA because NECA released the part seven Jason when the lawsuit was like at its peak. Yeah, but they they still haven't done. I I want a Jason X two pack from them, man. With you know the pre and post Uber Jason, that would be awesome. Uber Jason, the regular Jason. Yeah, that would be cool as shit. Yeah, I would. uh, Only if they give us like a K two XM. What are you doing with that figure, Cordell? What are you doing? I'm gonna. I'm going to make her kick Jason's ass, and then Uber Jason comes and fucks her up. Yes, <laughs> like the fucking movie. That, that movie, uh, yeah, she is pretty cool in that movie. Uh, I, Jason X is a fun movie. I we I can't wait to talk about that one day. But what do you think? Should we should we get into Jason Takes Manhattan? Because I have eight fucking pages of notes on this movie. All right, Friday the 13th, Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan, came out in July 28th of 1989. It was made on a budget of $5 million, and it did a box office gross of $14.3 million. So, mm, I guess yeah. it was kind of successful, not, as, not much. The movie stars Jensen Daggett, Scott Reeves, Barbara Bingham, Mark Peter Richman, Martin Cummins, Gordon Curry, Alex Dakin, V.C. Dupree. We got Kelly Hugh in one of her breakout roles. You uh, recognize her, don't you? Is she the uh, Charlie's Angels person? Yeah, she was in Charlie's Angels. She played, uh, she was the chick in the second x-men movie with like the long blade fingernails uh uh, okay yeah lady deathstrike i see yeah she's a pretty cute woman um and of course we have kane harder in his second outing as the iconic jason oh no she was she isn't the charlie's angels girls that's someone else but she was in the scorpion king okay yeah yeah i remember her from that but yes, we have Kane Hodder. So yay for him. And everyone else, as Roger Ebert once said, shame on you all. Oh, good Lord. Well, I think this is where I let you take it by the reins, man. Oh, all right, kids, pour yourself a drink or some Mountain Dew, because we are getting into Friday the 13th, Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan. So, this movie starts out promisingly enough, Cordell, because we get Dark Side of the Night, which is a pretty bitchin' song, actually. We literally open on a shot of New York and, like... I oh, wait, there's the monologue first. There's some fucker talking. <laughs> you remember this? Oh, yeah, it's such a... I thought it was a part of the song. I don't even know. He says some, like, philosophy or something about, like... I don't even remember, like, <laughs> the the killer inside or something like that. Okay, before we 
before we delve too deep, let we need to like tell the audience right off the back. This movie is called Jason Takes Manhattan. We only get a couple scenes in New York City in this movie in Manhattan. We get some opening shots of like the Twin Towers and Times Square. Most of this movie is going to take place on a fucking boat. And then in some dirty, grand, nasty back alleys of Vancouver. Did you notice, Cordell, in the opening montage, all the places they showed from New York are just all the spots they're going to be later on? Yep. I they even showed the fucking the punks with their boombox. The punks. Um, I was a little, like, freaked out because they even show those two drug addicts in the alley and one of them's, like, getting ready to shoot up. Oh, yeah. I mean, we'll we'll talk about it. But, yeah, they they basically use, like, B-roll footage of all the stuff from later in a uh, New York montage. We even get to see the rat that's going to pop up later in that that barrel of sludge. Oh, that barrel's gross, dude. (laughs) Like, like, uh, we'll talk about it. But, yeah, so we get Dark Side of the Night, which I actually like this song a lot, Cordell. I think you do, too. It's a pretty good song. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, playing over New York City. But then uh, we cut to like a, a mini yacht going by Camp Crystal Lake. And I just got to call out Cordell. I thought this was pretty good. The like ruined camp in the background. I was like, I was impressed. Was the camp ruined though? It really didn't look ruined. Well, on the sign, like the, the word like Crystal Lake was hanging off of the sign. So I assumed it was like, you know, derelict. I, I, I guess because... You know, all the lights were on and it looked like the camp was just waiting for the weekend for everyone to come chill. I was like, is this camp operational again? Because, like, all the lights are on. Like, if a place like that is Dale, like, they, they, are, not, you, they are not wasting electricity. <laughs> you know what? I didn't even think about that. That's a good point. But, yeah, we, uh, we see this little boat. And I got to say, this boat's pretty sweet, Cordell. I want this boat. It looks comfy. Uh... This little, like, mini yacht, I guess is what you'd call it. It's a houseboat. Oh, is it? Yep. And uh, immediately we get our high school couple of Susie and Jim, I think. Yep. And uh, they're making out. We even get a very brief titty shot, if Cordell caught that. Oh, we get a titty shot. We also get some butt cheeks. And uh, these high school kids are like, so we find out their graduating class is like going to New York. And we find that out over the radio. Did you? Yeah, I love that. Here? The radio dude has to announce it. This one's going out to Crystal Lake. And I'm like, it's that big of a deal. And as we'll find out, Cordell, we're talking about a high school class of like 20 people. Look, I graduated high school i had more than 20 people in my class but yeah so uh jim and Susie are like making out on this boat and they're like all right this is a solid setup um jim goes to uh throw the anchor he's like i got i gotta set the anchor so he throws it and conveniently enough he sets the anchor down next to this giant uh power cable along the bottom (laughs) of (laughs) talk about the worst fucking luck and then this is where the movie immediately starts to go off the cliff, Cordell, because um, he starts telling the story of Jason. And now, as as far as I understand it, this is all made in-house with Paramount Pictures, right? Yes. 
And most of these movies start with somebody telling the story of Jason. And like Pamela, he talks about how Pamela was beheaded. We don't get a single flashback to any footage. Instead, we get this like shitty footage of this normal looking kid drowning in the lake. They they already have footage of Jason drowning from part one. Look, I got some pretty, pretty big problems with the flashbacks of like the kid in this movie, because at one point he looks normal. And then in like the close up shots, you can see where they just threw some putty plus uh, prosthetics on him to make him look like a mongoloid. No, because he he talks about Jason and we show this normal looking kid with hair just like splashing around in the water. And I'm like, how the fuck can you not use the footage you already have? Mm, Yeah, I noticed that. I was like, well, this is this is a great start. But um, yeah, so he basically gives us the rundown of like Jason is still in the lake. And that's when we see underneath the water. Coming right off the end of part seven, we see Jason trapped under the dock, which is pretty much how part seven ended. (laughs) Yeah, I like that the the anchor to the boat is causing the cable line to rub one out against the rock. (laughs) But weirdly, Cordell, you remember in part seven, Jason is like wearing like a tattered shirt. His hands are all skeletal. Yeah, he was like skeletal. You could see his spine and everything like that. But that's what I was talking about earlier with these movies do not do a great job all the time with continuity. Like, yeah, some, somehow like, now he has a uh, he has they, gloves on and he's wearing like a jumpsuit shirt kind of thing. They do continuity pretty decently when it comes to the mask or when it comes to like the damage to his face, but like for the rest of his body they don't really stick to the continuity because technically he probably shouldn't even have anything on. Yeah. He should be like a skeleton at this point, a skeleton or a very, very, very rotted corpse. (laughs) That's what part seven did so well. You know, they made Jason kind of like gooey, so to speak. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so the power line gets trapped under the anchor and we see like Cordell says it rubs one out against the rock and we get kind of a cool effect of like it hits Jason and like uh, we get all this glow under the water as it electrocutes him. And notice how Jason's usually getting brought back by electricity a lot. Yeah, this this continues the precedent of part six where he also was brought back to life via electricity. Um, so they, the two, uh, Jim and Susie hear the, hear the noise underneath the water and Jim goes to, you know, take a look and Susie's like, you know, where'd he go? Well, Jim pops back out wearing a Jason, uh, hockey mask and scares the shit out of her. He even stabs her with a fake knife, which I was like, damn, dude, that's going the extra mile. Yeah. I tell you what, if I did that with my go, I wouldn't be getting no pussy that night. <laughs> yeah, and she she's totally cool with it. She's basically like knock it off. But uh meanwhile we see Jason climbing on board the boat. Well they get back to their uh, you know, canoodling under the under the covers, and Jason walks in, he picks up the hockey mask. And it will never not annoy me, Cordell, that the red triangles on the hockey mask this time, they're like pointed the wrong way. Did you notice that? 
I did not. You want to know what caught my attention and what kind of irked me? Did you notice when he first climbs on the boat, we get the close-up of his hands? You see, you, you see, see Kane Hodder's pinky through the glove? It's not rotted at all. Yeah. I'm like, wow, that is a very lucky pinky. Yeah, well, see, they do a pretty good job with Jason. Well, except for the end, but we'll get there. But they do, like, you know, make him, like, wet and kind of, like, a little rotted looking. But, yeah, that's, like, I don't know why they couldn't just give him, like, rotting hand gloves or whatever. So it's because you see pink paint on his pinky. You see it in multiple scenes, too. It's, 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 oh, my gosh. <laughs> But uh, so Susie looks up and sees Jason standing there, and he uh, he picks up a spear gun, I love and he's off his game a little bit because he aims it and he misses him. Well, come on, man, he's waterlogged. <laughs> but well, Susie does the smart thing because she hightails it out the window, and uh, but the other guy's just kind of like, "What's going on?" Well, Jason takes the spear gun and he fucking rams it into the guy's stomach. Oh my gosh, this this scene is. Uh hilarious for a couple reasons a he's sitting there with like this blank look on his face and when jason sticks him it, he like he lurches forward like he just climaxes hey but, maybe uh, he was he's like you know this is one of the uh kills they mentioned in that uh little behind the scenes that i watched a lot of the kills in this movie got cut down like part seven did and this, this kill was one of them because we were supposed to see the spear gun in his stomach and we were supposed to see like squirts of blood coming out and everything. Now, I will say, though, uh, just right off the bat, though, Cordell, whatever else I say about this movie, I think Kane Hodder is really good as Jason in this film. Oh, uh, come on. he's always good as Jason. Part seven, this one, the next one. He really does a good job with this role. But in this movie, he is menacing, and we'll get into it. He's brutal. He oh. really fucking gives no fucks in this movie. Um, but yeah, and yeah, I mean, I think the effects mostly work. But there's a lot of scenes in this film where, like, Jason stabs somebody, and the camera is right above where we should see the effects, or maybe they edited it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's that, really, you know, ladies and gentlemen, is the work of those. Goddamn rats at the MPAA. Yeah, fuck censorship. And of course, Cordell, nobody... See, everyone's always like, well, let's get the uncut part seven, but since everybody hates this movie, I don't think anyone is like, let's get the uncut part eight. I wouldn't mind an uncut part eight. Yeah, me too. Um, but yeah, so Jason then, uh, he, he grabs the spear, part of the spear gun, which is, like, weirdly really thin. Did you see that, Cordell? I was kind of like, huh. Hmm. I love, I, I love how he, like, has to tug on it a little bit to get it out of the wall, but I like that. Is this, this might be what you're talking about, like, Jason being menacing, is, like, he doesn't, like, rush, he doesn't move fast, he just slowly puts his hand on the spear and just gently pulls it out of the wall. Well, Jason doesn't need to move fast in this movie, Cordell, because Jason can teleport in this movie. Mm, can't wait to talk about that. Um, but no, and I think that I think Jason's kind of cruel in this movie, too. Like, so he goes up on the deck 
And so Susie's really dumb, though, right? Because, like, literally the camp is right there. Like, just hop off the fucking boat, right? Well, but he instead, said he teleports. He could just teleport under the water. <laughs> but instead, she's, like, hiding under this hatch. And so Jason opens it up. I love this scene. I've got a story slowly. about this. Just very slowly, he lowers the spear and, like, stabs her through the chest. And that was kind of cool. There is... Have you seen the Crystal Lake Memories documentary? I have, but not up to part eight, I don't think. There is a hilarious story, and they even had the footage to go with it. Um, Kane Harder was, like, you know, because Kane Harder really likes to make people laugh on set and cheer them up and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Well, when they were shooting this scene, Kane uh, thought that he could, like, you know, he thought he would give everyone a laugh. So when the cam was down there and he opens up that, like, hatch to get Susie, you see Jason standing there and he's wearing a big white fucking strap on. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> Yeah, Kane Hodder's awesome. I would not, he seems like a really like solid dude. I have made it my mission that if I ever get to meet Kane Hodder and get his autograph, that is the photo he's going to be autographing for me. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh, man. So, yeah, Susie gets it. Rest in peace. But uh, so then we cut to, I guess, the next morning, I guess, where the uh, the SS Lazarus ha 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 is uh, departing from Crystal Lake, I suppose. Um, I guess I didn't really think Crystal Lake could hold a hold a boat that big, but. (laughs) Well, no, it has to be because then we see the little yacht like pull in. Um, I guess we're to assume Crystal Lake like has a, a river or whatever that goes out to the ocean. Uh, it's kind of like a lock or something like that. Well, yeah, so we cut to the SS Lazarus. And while we had a pretty solid opening, Cordell, immediately the movie goes to shit. Because, unfortunately, we have to get introduced to Rennie. Okay, Rennie. The acting we're is not... The girl of the entire series. Mm, I disagree with that. I I think she's kind of cute. Like for the longest time, I thought that Rennie was the worst. But watching her in this movie and really paying attention, there are, I think there are a couple scenes in this movie where I think she's actually kind of cute. Okay, Cordell, but think think with your other head for a second. This actress no, sucks. I don't want to. <laughs> oh, she's so awful, dude. She's terrible. <laughs> Like this fucking, she rolls up with the teacher, with her teacher, which is that that relationship is never explained. Uh, and, yeah, that, uh, that's some uh, there's some laws being broken right there. Um, and the teacher's like, here's this pen that allegedly was used by Stephen King. The yeah, was like, you're, you're the best student I've ever had. I'm like, I want to know what, what book he wrote with it. I'm not going to lie, Cordell. I thought I weirdly was like, is this teacher like has a, have a lesbian crush on Rennie? Oh, I hope not. This teacher is not much to look at. <laughs> I, I was like, I was like, what, what is going on here? But yeah, yeah. She, gets, 
Yeah, his, the uh, teacher, Colleen Van Dusen. Um, she gives Rennie this, like, Stephen King pen. <laughs> you know, and we also meet Toby the dog who's coming with. <laughs> and so, so they get <laughs> So they get out and start to board this boat, and this is when we get introduced, even worse, Cordell, to the worst, most jerk-ass character in this entire series. Oh, see, I'm going to say you're talking about McCullough. Yes, I'm talking about McCullough. Yeah, which apparently is also Rennie's, what, uncle? Yeah, so, okay, you know how everyone, Cordell, is like, all the characters in the remake are assholes, right? No. I'm going to go ahead and say that I think McCullough is on the same level as Dr. Cruz from Part 7. Oh, I don't this, know. This guy. Mm, this no, guy because I don't like Dr. Dick. Cruz. I love to hate Dr. Cruz, though. And I think McCullough is on the same level. Just this old, like 30, 40 some year old, maybe 50 year old white dude who's. Like, thinks he knows what's good for everybody. But, you you know, I'll put it this way. We like to hate Dr. Cruz because he is willingly taking advantage of Tina in Part 7. We get our own reason to hate McCullough in this movie. Oh, we get multiple reasons to hate this guy, man. There's not a single scene with this principal that he's not a fucking dick. Yeah, you know, everyone's just trying to help, and he's being like, no, it's all your fault. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll get to it. We'll get to it. But yeah, he rolls up, and the, the teacher's like, there's someone else coming, and it's Rennie. And he's basically like, you know, why'd you bring her? And, you know, I forget what the exact line is, but he's basically like, "I only I can decide what's best for her. And the teacher's like, well, maybe that's time to change. <laughs> yeah, basically putting this dick in his place. Because we're going to find out, okay, can we get it out of the way now, why he says uh, she shouldn't be there? Yeah, because very, very late in the movie, we see this random flashback. And we find out that he, like, kicked her, he pushed her in the Crystal Lake and Jason attacked her. Yeah. So... Obviously, I don't know if he feels guilt about it, about her getting attacked, but... Okay, so he pushes her in the lake, right? And Jason attacks her. And this fucks her up. She's got aquaphobia. She sees visions of Jason. Clearly, this woman had problems at at some point. So what the hell is she doing in his kale? Yeah, they never explain. I guess we just have to assume that the uh, the parents died. Yeah, we get a line later that she was at school when she got the news that her parents died in a car accident. Oh, that scene. We're going to talk about that scene. We're going to talk about every scene. Buckle in, kids. <laughs> Look, I will say this. I think the actress that plays Rennie is kind of cute. Rennie herself... I think the backstory they give her is kind of shit. Like, yeah. mm, I don't know how to say it. I, the backstory, like her connection to Jason. And Dude, like this movie is such a fucking mess, Cordell. So you look at part seven, right? 
Part seven, you get two plot lines, right? You have Tina, her mom, and Dr. Cruz, and then you get the partying teens next door. But at least with Tina, like, you get, you know, a coherent backstory about the dad and her psychic powers and Dr. Cruz. Like, in this movie, you get that in you. Okay, so maybe not like Friday one, two, and three. They were all about like the teenagers, right? Yeah. And, you know, in Friday four, you had two stories. You had the story of young Tommy and his family and then the teens partying in five. You had the kids at the nut house and then like the people in the surrounding area who didn't like them in part and six. You have, two, you have two stories. You have Tommy and his girl and then you have the counselors at the camp. Yes. In part uh, in part six, it was Tommy and him trying to convince the police that Jason's back. You know, and then you had like the kids at, at the teens at the camp getting ready for the kids. Mm hmm. This movie kind of does away with that and kind of throws it all into a fucking mess. Oh, my God. It's it's outrageous because you have all these characters, but none of them get any, like, development or anything. Like, this whole thing with Rennie. I guess what the thought that came to me, Cordell, is, like, all these characters are, like, caricatures of very thin Friday the 13th people we already knew. You know what I mean? Like, nobody has any character development. No one has any, like, backstory. Like, Rennie's backstory makes no fucking sense. Well, can I give, can I interject with two pieces of trivia for the movie? Yes, please. At 100 minutes, this is the longest running time of the Friday the 13th films. And you feel it. <laughs> oh, boy. Um... Rob Hedden originally wrote more of the movie to be set in New York. He had written scenes at Madison Square Garden, the Brooklyn Bridge, Statue of Liberty, the World Trade Center, and the Empire State Building. But Paramount told him that the budget would not allow him to spend that much time in New York, so he was forced to rewrite the film, spend more time on the cruise ship. Hayden, Hedden says he agrees with fans who complain that not enough time is spent in New York given the title. Well, so, OK, that's the easy way to criticize this movie, Cordell, is OK, Jason on the boat. Yuck, yuck, yuck. But there's so much more. There's so much more. Oh, no. What? No, definitely. Definitely. I'm just I'm just spinning out some interesting, you know, we're going to talk about it. But I figure I'll just get this information out of the way. So the listeners kind of like have an idea. Yeah, yeah. No, I got you. So, ready the teacher principal board the board the ship, and we cut up to the bridge, and we find out that the captain. And here's a perfect example of confusion, Cordell, because so the captain on this boat, this boat only has like three people, three uh, sailors on it, by the way. Mm hmm. Um, but the captain's like basically giving command over to his son Sean. And question number one, Cordell. Is Sean part of the high school class with them? Is he a captain? Because he's listed in the credits as Admiral. How the fuck is he an Admiral? I'm pretty sure the makers of this movie don't know the difference. I really don't. Mm. But you know what I mean? like, is the whole reason they're doing this cruise is because Sean's dad is captain of the boat, and that's why like they can do it? You know what I mean? Because like Sean knows Rennie. 
Oh yeah, I mean these are these are all like teens from the same school and everything. Do you recognize uh, the actor playing Sean? No, but I do know the one piece of trivia. Did you hear about like it was supposed to be someone else and even like filmed for a week with a different actor? I did hear that. And then uh, I forget. There's like conflicting reports. Every he really sucked, I guess, so they replaced him. But no, I didn't recognize him. What's he been in? Um. Let's see. So the actor Scott Reeves, not a whole lot in terms of film. However, he is big in television. He was in Days of Our Lives, Young and the uh, Restless. Um, Chicago Hope. Yeah, not really much. He was on Young and the Restless. I don't know. What is that? A soap opera? Because I yeah, recognize that I some of these like I know what Days of Our Lives is and I know what Young and the Restless is. Okay, so this guy's really just kind of like a TV soap star. And well, it shows. Yeah, I was about to say it shows. But yeah, so the dad's basically like, "I'm turning over command to you," and he gives his son like a something old, something new, which I thought is what you're supposed to give for like a wedding or something. So that was kind of weird. Um, but he gives him a sexton, which has the funniest name ever, and then a, an actual calculator or whatever. Um, but basically, like, Sean, it's this scene is so weird to me, Cordell, because the captain's like, you're in charge now. Set, you know, set us on course. And then Sean, like, for, he forgets to, like, honk the horn or whatever, and then he's like, fuck this, I'm out of here. <laughs> Did you notice that? Like, I don't know, it's, it was a weird scene. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Was like, yeah. Oh. <laughs> he, 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 no, I remember the scene that you're talking about. I think I just kind of glossed over it, though, because this guy does not make much of an impression with me. Who, Sean or the captain? Sean, because we're going to get a scene with Sean when his dad dies. Oh, no, he's Blandy McBland, you know. Um, So we cut. No, good. Oh, nothing. Um, no. So we cut back, and we this is when we do get an actual fun character, though, because the uh, the one deckhand sees that yacht from earlier, the where Susie and Jim got killed on, pull in. Yeah. And that, and the question uh, What? No, no. So, so he's yeah, he's the crazy Ralph of this movie. But my question to you, Cordell, is did Jason steer the boat in and then hop ship? Um, I don't know what he did, if I'm going to be honest with you. Holy but shit. Yeah, Sean is... No, go ahead. I was looking at the, uh, they actually have a Wikipedia page for the actor of that deckhand. Oh, really? Yeah, and I've actually seen a few of the movies he's been on. Oh, um, really? He was in the Chuck Norris movie Hitman. Oh, of course he was. He was in Ernest Rides Again. <laughs> of course he was. Uh, he was the pastor in the 2001 slasher movie Valentine. Oh, okay. Uh, he was in uh, The X-Files, I Want to Believe, from 2008. So he's like a working actor, 
pretty much. Yeah, he had been. He was in the X Files TV show. Oh, it's good to see that this guy worked again. He's a fun character. Oh, good God, he was an agent, Cody Banks. Oof. That's not something I'd want on my resume. But uh, this is kind of funny because as Sean is like storming down from the bridge, he runs into the deckhand and that's when he does the this voyage is doomed. And Sean's like, you're telling me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. So um, let's talk about some of our other cast of characters. What cast? (laughs) Well, you know, let's talk about, you know, Martin Cummins as Wayne. Oh yes, we're. Oh, we gotta we gotta wait for Wayne. We gotta wait for him. We gotta steam before Wayne. <clears throat> because before that, we uh, this is where we find out that Sean has the hots for Rennie because uh, the ship sets off and we do get a shot of Jason holding on to like a rope off the side, which was pretty cool. Um, and then we get like kind of a little montage where like they're like fucking shooting feet off the side of the boat. They're playing shuffleboard. People are dancing. Um, but yeah, Sean comes up to Rennie on deck and uh, he's like, you know, I think about you a lot. Take the Statue of Liberty necklace. <laughs> oh, jeez. And this is the only thing I think Cordell during this scene is I'm like, he's because Sean goes. I was going to plan to give this to you when we were on top of the statue. And I literally said out loud, I was like, yeah, you wish you had the budget to actually shoot that at the top of the Statue of Liberty. Oh, my gosh, dude. This dialogue is is so fucking horrible. Like no woman. You go up to any woman and says, I think about you a lot. They're going to look at you sideways and be like, "Okay, creep. But since Rennie is like damaged goods, she's just like, oh, that's so nice. <laughs> and uh and the, the uncle comes up and he's a dickhead like he always is and he's like stay away from her or whatever yeah uh, you know this uncle he doesn't want any guys talking to his niece he's always trying to keep under lock and key there's something creepy about this uncle there's yeah something very creepy about the color. We'll talk about the flashback but yeah, so then we get Wayne. We cut to, I guess it's on top of the deck, and we get this character, Wayne, who's kind of like the the film nerd of the class, I guess. Because he's got his VHS video camera. Yep, not coming in. in probably the only role that he'll ever be known for, unless you want to count him in Poltergeist the Legacy. Ugh, we do not. <laughs> But Wayne's a real idiot, Cordell, and here's why. Because he's filming this this like rocker chick, JJ, or is it AJ? I could I I couldn't tell. Yeah, know. JJ. But she's like rocking out on her guitar. She she was pretty good looking. Oh and, uh, yes, she was. Let's talk about her. Wayne's an idiot because she's basically like come down with me, you know. That place under, uh, you know, the depths of the ship are killing for a video. And I'm like, Wayne, this woman wants you. And Wayne's like, no, I got to go do what Tamara wants. Oh, God, Tamara. Like, Wayne, Wayne, look in front of you, sir. (laughs) Yeah, let's just go ahead and put it out. Wayne, 
I have a lot of issues with this character, especially like later before he's killed. <laughs> when he blows a guy away? <laughs> uh, th- no, the simple fact that he went on a fucking like hunt for a killer and he's still carrying the camera with him. <laughs> yeah, we'll, that's so fucking dumb. We'll get to that. But, um, yeah, so so Wayne is basically, the, the rocker chick is trying basically like, Wayne, come downstairs and get in my pants. And Wayne's like, nah, I gotta do this thing for Tamara. And she's like, alright, whatever. So, uh, she goes down, for whatever reason, she walks down to this, like, and I gotta say, Cordell, from the outside, this ship does not look that big. No, no, it does not. And yet, when they went down there, I don't think this was filmed on a ship. It had to have been filmed in, like, a factory, because, like, you see them going down these stairs, and it just looks like... It keeps going and going and going. Yeah, it's like it's like a labyrinth. And later on, it, it's got to be said, this ship has everything. They got like a whole dance floor. They got a boxing ring. They, they got, got a like the machine. The cabins later on, those cabins are like ginormous. Um, like they got like individual shower, like giant bathrooms in each cabin, like. But so she goes downstairs and starts rocking out. And I didn't catch this, Cordell. Is she actually playing the guitar? Or is it all just a tape? I I think it's a tape. So she actually can't tell and she's a phony. Well, you know. She's not here to, like, make every, like, blow us away with her, like, skills or whatnot. She's just kind of here to be, you know, a kill. Yeah, so she's downstairs rocking out on this, like, random catwalk, and uh, we see Jason walking down the steps above her. Again, looking really cool. But this is our first introduction, and we need to talk about this, Cordell, to teleporting Jason. So here's how this plays out. Jason comes down the steps behind this chick. She turns around. No, what? I was going to say, well, what's so bad about that? What the hell? It works on Star Trek. (laughs) <laughs> she turns around, sees Jason, screams, runs down a whole other flight of steps, and runs right into Jason. Yeah, you know, he just kind of, like, jumped over the side and went, like, now you see me, now you don't. All right, I'll, I can accept that for this kill, Cordell. <laughs> it gets way worse later. Jason, I don't even know what to say. No, it does get pretty well, especially when Kelly Hughes' character gets it on the dance floor. That was, um... Oh, that scene makes no sense. But, uh, this scene's pretty fun, because Jason has her guitar, and we get the POV shot as he, like, smack, smashes her with it, and the camera gets covered in blood. I do love this, uh... I do, I do love the, uh... Like, little side of the camera breaking with the blood splatter. I like this kill. Yeah, it's a fun kill. I wish I wish she would have stuck around for later. None of these characters really like you meet people and then like two scenes later they're dead. Um So uh we see Jason kind of walking around the ship and he walks by Rennie's cabin window. And this is when we get the first of many hallucinations because Rennie sees kid Jason in front of her on the bed. Yeah, and in the porthole. 
Oh, is that when it's in the porthole? Yeah, I was like, this bitch is just seeing Jason everywhere. And I swear to God, Cordell, they have like four different kids playing Jason in this movie. I could have swore at one point one of the kid one of the kid Jasons was Asian. Oh, he is. He is. I freeze framed it. Um, but like Jason, sometimes he has hair. Sometimes he doesn't have hair. Sometimes he has brown hair. Sometimes he has black hair. It's, it's just 2023, man. Don't judge Jason on what he wants to be. I don't care, but kid Jason went through like six different looks. (laughs) It's outrageous. Um, That's awesome. (laughs) So she hallucinates fucking kid Jason in the, in the porthole. And uh, this is where it's kind of hinting at that. Like Rennie has some drama with, with Jason. But we cut to a boxing ring because, you know, Cordell, if you're in high school and this is like your graduating class trip or whatever, instead of, you know, partying on the boat, you want to fucking exercise, right? Hey, this guy is trying to be the next Muhammad. And uh, so this is when we finally get introduced to Tamara and Kelly Hughes character, who I don't know what her name is. I just called her Kelly Hugh. Um, you want you want to hear the, the first instance of racial stereotyping? Who I do. Her name is Ava Wantanabe. <laughs> and I am not making that up. That is literally what she's listed as. I swear they don't say the name Ava once in this movie. I don't think they do. So they're like, and this is kind of weird, right, Cordell? They're like looking down from the ceiling. <laughs> yeah, these uh, are some peeping Tom uh, chicks. So they're watching, this is when we get introduced to Julius, who's our, our token African-American character. And, um, oh, no, I mean, he literally is. <laughs> I like Julius, so I don't want to I don't want shit too much on this character. I like Julius. No, I like Julius a lot because he like he beats the shit out of this other guy. They're like sparring boxing and he just this other guy sucks because Julius just like fucking clocks him cold. And uh, what is it? Tamara's like, the only one I'd want to do is Julius. And, uh, yeah, so this is our introduction to, like, a lot of these secondary characters, Julius, Tamara, and uh, Ava. And uh, so then we cut back to the cabins. Uh, I think we see Jason walking around a bit more. But the principal's walking around, and he runs into Wayne. And this line fucking made me laugh, Cordell, because first, uh, the principal's like, Wayne, senior prediction started, you know, a couple minutes ago. Where were you? And I was like, what the fuck is a senior prediction? And then Wayne goes, some of us don't want our futures predicted. And the principal looks at him and goes, well, in your case, I'm sure that's true. <laughs> oh, my God. This guy is such that a dick. That was the one time I liked the principal. I was like, God damn. And it should be said, Cordell, we don't see any other teachers. You got this 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 high school class. They literally have the principal and they have uh, whatever Rennie's like, you know, stalker teacher is. Yeah, Stephen King penned. <laughs> but uh, so then we cut back to Tamara and Ava and they're like in a storeroom doing some cocaine, <laughs> which was kind of funny because. uh this movie is re- this movie really is peddling drug use. Oh, it is. 
A hundred percent. And it, I guess it should be said, so after Rennie saw a kid, Jason, her dog, uh, Toby, like, ran out the door, so she went out to look for him. Toby. Oh, fuck, fuck Toby. <laughs> How does Toby even survive? Anyway. He's not in the lifeboat, is he? Uh, I don't remember him in the lifeboat. Oh, I don't maybe, maybe Jason gave him some teleporting powers. So, so Rennie walks up on these chicks, and they're basically like, you want to hit? <laughs> and Rennie's like, nah. We, we got to mention, Tamara is the prime queen. She's the, uh, what, do you, what do you call the women in these types of groups? Like the bitchy popular girl? Yeah, she's like, she's like the bitchy popular girl, but all she does is like gossip with Kelly Hugh. <laughs> Yeah, and but, sometimes it even feels like Kelly Hughes' character don't even want to be with her. Oh, yeah, 100%. Well, we'll get into it, but so so Rennie walks up, and she's like, you know, I don't want your drugs. Have you seen my dog? And they're like, no. So she walks off, and Tamara's like, that's, uh, you know, the principal's niece. I hear she's a real head case. You think she's going to narc on us? <laughs> and I'm just like, well, you're the one doing coke out in the open, lady, like... What do you expect? But I don't think she does knock on him, though. It's no, only it's only by happenstance that McCullough finds them. And this is so fucking stupid. Yeah, McCullough walks up and they like, you know, put the coke away. And he's like, are you girls doing drugs? And Kelly, he's like, do I look like I would do drugs? And this is when McCullough's like, by the way, I'm coming to your cabin in 15 minutes and I expect to see your biology project. And let's talk about this. These guys are on their, like, senior graduating trip. And the principal of the class is like, I'm going to fail you (laughs) if I don't see your project. Like, why do you do in the classroom? Yeah. What the fuck? Oh, my gosh. This, I tell you what, McCullough is creepy. McCall is the type of principal who's like, you know, all the girls sit up front. He's that kind of guy. You know what I mean? McCall is the kind of guy that would get fucking like just demolished by the Me Too movement today. (sighs) But um, all right, let's get to an actual good scene, Cordell, because I really do like this next scene. Are you talking about the uh, kill? Yeah. Dude, this, this, this is a legitimately good scene. I never, ever want to use a sauna after watching this. <laughs> so we get the, the other guy who Julius, like, beat up on and knocked out. He goes into the sauna because, you know, this ship has a sauna as well. And uh, he, like, puts some hot rocks in steam and he lays down with a towel over his face. Well, uh... He's just trying to relax, but old Mr. Voorhees does not cotton with that because he walks in and, you know, the guy's like, ah, Julius, is that you? Good match, man. No hard feelings. Guess I got to work on my right hook. He's like, you want to go hunt down those chicks later? Well, this is cool because Jason picks up a rock and I love the effect, Cordell, of like the steam when Jason grabs it. Oh, you got this. This oh, when he grabs it, I thought he was talking about when he shoves it in his fucking stomach. 
Yeah, well, Jason walks over and fucking sticks the rock right through this guy's stomach. And we do get to see it a little bit. Like they yeah, kept- you get a little bit. You get, you get a little bit of steam. You get a little bit of flames from the skin tissue burning. Yeah, like, I don't know. I This scene was badass. Yeah, this is a... Uh, this would fuck with me. Because, <laughs> yeah, the guy actually, like, lights on fire, like Cordell said, and- Jason just pushes this hot rock into his stomach. And, uh, yeah, it's it's a good kill. It really is. Um, but this is when I noticed, Cordell, I don't know about you, that, like, there's nobody on this boat. <laughs> because we go up on deck, and there's, like, two people, and then there's, like, Rennie and her teacher. And I'm like, where the fuck is the rest of the class? Yeah, there's only people on this boat when we need people to be there. Um, so, so Rennie and her teacher are like, and, um, so earlier after the principal busted them, um, Tamara was like to Kelly Hughes, she's like, rumor has it that chick who narked on us is terrified of Wooder, so we're going to get back at her. This has so many legal implications. And then the prank she does is literally the worst prank ever. Yeah, this could be like take an attempted murder if she had drowned. Because so Rennie and her teacher are like just walking along the deck talking about some bullshit. And Tamara literally just runs up elbows and elbows like she shoves um, Rennie off the boat. (laughs) Yeah. Like no accident. She literally just fucking like linebacker knocks her off the ship. Yeah, and you can tell, like, Ke- like Kelly Hughes' character didn't know what she was going to do because she's like, oh, my God, what the fuck? So Rennie's, like, flailing about off the side of the boat, and the teacher is useless. Like, she tosses a life preserve- preserver over. Well, this is when we get another hallucination because Kelly or Rennie gets uh, pulled under by Jason. And I think they put a little makeup on him this time, Cordell. Like, I think his one eye is kind of fucked up. Yeah, they put a little makeup, but it's still not good. Very inconsistent. Well, Sean actually does something useful, and he hops off the boat and grabs Rennie, and they get pulled up. And uh, (laughs) this is when McCullough rolls up, and, you know, immediately he's like, Nice job you've been doing supervising the students. Yeah, oh, yeah, he blames uh, the teacher, but where the fuck is he? Yeah, like, Sean literally saved Rennie. He rolls up, he's like, get away from her! And I'm just like, what the fuck, dude? Yeah, we are not supposed to ever think McCullough has one shred of goodness in him. No, and he's so fucking annoying. And I really think that's a mistake, because... When you start killing characters off, you want to feel bad for the characters. I never feel bad when McCullough dies. I don't feel bad for any of these people. I felt bad for JJ. Yeah, but that's just because you want some private jam sessions with her. Hey, I'm a filmmaker myself, man. (laughs) Um... So then the uh, the cra- our crazy Ralph deckhand pops up too, and I think he's like, everyone on this boat is gonna die. Well, so Rennie, uh, you know, the teacher's basically like, go go get some towels for Rennie, and Rennie's like, 
fuck this. She just goes back to her cabin. And this is when she, she puts on the sink and it starts, uh, it starts bleeding. Like blood starts coming out of the sink. And then all of a sudden, Jason, Jason, it says Jason's rotting hand pops out of the, the mirror. And I swear to God, an Asian kid with a little bit of makeup on half his face jumps out and is strangling her. Dude, I literally thought the kid was short round. <laughs> I freeze. Yeah, I freeze trained at Cordell. This kid is clearly an Asian kid. I don't know if they just like they couldn't keep the same kid for all the scenes, but it's Child like Jason. Lost, <laughs> um, I mean, this is kind of cool, but I, I like the blood coming out of the sink. Yeah, that was that was a cool little touch. Um, should be mentioned at this point, uh, that, uh, Kelly Hughes character is kind of like walked away from Tamara cause she's like, she doesn't like what Tamara did to Rennie. So she kind of just tells Tamara, Hey, I'll catch you later. Yeah. She walks away, which is good because then we cut to Tamara in her cabin. And this is when I noticed Cordell. I was like, these cabins are nice. Like, God damn. Oh, no. Tamara's not in her cabin. She's in McCullough's cabin. Oh, is she? I thought McCullough said he'd be at her cabin. Oh, maybe it is her cabin. I I, I don't know. Just the fact that they had the film student there and everything. She had the film student there. Because what happens next could lead to jail time. Could lead to (laughs) a lawsuit. Could lead to blackmailing charges. There are so many legal uh, laws being broken here with this scene. Well, it takes McCullough is no. So McCullough rolls up to her cabin and McCullough should know that something's up here. Cordell, because he walks in and she's, you know, wearing like a robe. She's got champagne. And uh, he's basically like, I'm here to see your project. Oh, he's She's like, you want some champagne? And this made me kind of think, like, was the drinking age still 18 in New Jersey back in then? Which it wasn't, actually. But um, he's like, you know, do you have your project? And uh, so she takes off the robe and she's got all of, like, her organs, like, written on her body. And she's only wearing, you know, the bra and panties. <sighs> And uh, was this a first scene, Cordell? (laughs) This is a very, um, like, at at this point, you would want to give her an A, but then you also (laughs) want to immediately give her an E for even thinking like this. But, uh, so she starts, you know, macking up on McCullough. To McCullough's credit, Cordell, I did notice, he he really doesn't go with it. Like, even on the bed, he's like, ugh. Mind you, this guy's old enough to be your dad. But yeah, so she starts like, you know, trying to trying to get with McCullough. Well, Wayne walks in, we get the POV of the camera shot, and he's filming it all. Well, McCullough eventually is like, you know, get the fuck off me. Like, you know, you are in serious trouble. And then Wayne walks in and he's like, you know, got lots of spicy material and tosses the VHS to her. And McCullough's like, you know, you're going to pay for this and storms out. So basically, is Kelly Hugh in here too? I can't remember Cordell. Uh, not yet. But you know, 
now Wayne wants to try to like get laid because he tries to hook up with uh, Tamela in this scene and she shoots him down. Well, here, here's a little life advice, listeners. If you ever start out your one shot at like getting with a hot chick by saying, <clears throat> quote, I've had the hots for you ever since. Ugh. It's not going to work. It's really not. <laughs> I, I, I have my own life advice, people. If you want to get laid, go with the hot, rockin' goth chick who actually wants to get with you and not the slutty, dumb, bimbo blonde. Yeah, Wayne Wayne is a bozo. Wayne, Wayne could have been chilling with JJ, but instead, you know. That is Life Lesson 101 with Cordell Calkins. So Wayne gets shot down, but he does get a glass of champagne for his trouble, which was kind of nice. And this is when I also noticed Cordell. Somehow Jason has just been, like, moving through this ship. Did you notice that? Because this is when we see, like, Jason walks by. I'm like, this is, like, you know, eight-foot-tall, like, you know, dripping, rotting corpse has just kind of been, like, chilling this whole time. Well, you know, you were bitching that we didn't get to see much of the crew. Well, we're going to finally see the crew in the next scene here. No, the next scene is Tamara's death, isn't it? Oh, shit. I forgot about that. It's, dude, Tamara is such a non-entity to me. Like, I know she's supposed to be, like, attractive, but, like, I was not that attractive to her. Well, it's kind of weird to me that they set her up as this antagonist. You would think she'd make it to the end, like, in part seven, right? Let but, me tell you what one of the mistakes that this movie does. It makes the mistake of killing all the other female characters off mostly on this boat so there is no oil for sean or rennie or the other characters later when they do get to new york well the only only other female that survives this boat is you know that teacher and i'm talking about what happens to her yeah so they either needed to have Kelly Hugh or they needed to have Tamara survive the boat. But yeah, how do you not have the bitchy Hoyle like survive? What the fuck? But we do get a pretty good kill out of it at least. Um so Tamara is taking a shower and she gets out, puts on her robe. Well, There's Jason- actually a pretty good backstory to this scene too. Oh, is there? Yep, uh, if I may indulge in some trivia. Oh, yeah, hit me. Charlene Martin initially expressed discomfort at being filmed nude for a shower scene. To put her at ease, director Rob Hedden borrowed a page from the theater and film law and stripped down fully nude, walked into the shower himself to illustrate how easy it all was. Unfortunately, he didn't realize the camera was rolling the whole time. When the producer... When the producers watched the dailies the next morning, they were very, very confused as to why their director was standing completely naked in a shower talking to one of his actresses. Martin said said the director's act helped her lose her inhibitions and film her shower and death scene fully nude. But the only ones who saw her naked were Kane Harder and the crew. None of her private parts were shown on screen, just her back and side. 
There was one shot of a character's butt, but that was a naked stunt performer, not the actress. Yeah, I mean, props to the director, but yeah, you don't actually see anything. Um. <laughs> I just love that the uh, producers got the dailies of the director naked in the shower. Yeah, put that on the bonus features, people. Come on. You know what's funny? They actually kind of had that in the bonus features. They had that footage. Oh, really? <laughs> you don't see nothing, of course, but like you see the director is kind of like they're half naked in the shower. <laughs> well, she, uh, so, oh, this scene is pretty kick-ass, though, Cordell, because she sees Jason walks into her, um, into her cabin, so she closes the bathroom door. Well, Jason just busts his hand through the fucking door, and he grabs her, and this is when we do get, like, a cool scene where he rips her robe off, and we see, like, the naked stunt woman smash into the mirror. Oh, yeah, this was fun. I like the way she smashes into it. And this is where I first noticed that Kane Hodder, he likes smashing glass in this movie because Jason just walks into the door. Did you notice this, Cordell? He walks up to that fucking mirror, which is, like, kind of cracked. No hesitation. Just puts his fucking fists through it. I love that scene. That scene of him punching the mirror. Yeah, you can just, it's, like, brutal. Well, uh, Tamara, you know, she's cowering on the ground. Well, Jason grabs a hunk of mirror and uh, very slowly and deliberately kind of comes up on her and stabs her. And sadly, we don't see any of it. No, we don't see it, but we do see the aftermath. We do, but uh, we I do wish we could see the body later and she's got all that glass in her. I couldn't help but think of that scene from Halloween Kills when Michael took that old guy, threw him on the table, and just kept pinning all those knives into him. Yeah, that seems awesome. So, exit our uh, head bitch there. But, uh, so we cut to the outside, and we see that the ship is kind of going into a storm, which I thought was pretty cool. And uh, so we cut up to the bridge and we see the captain is monologuing to his second in command, Carlson, about his kids. And Carlson lets us know that he is a 19 month year old, which tells us that Carlson is going only going to live another 30 seconds. Yep. Because the captain's basically like, ah, that's a good age. Don't push them too hard, Carlson, because, you know, you get the idea that, like, he wanted Sean to be a ship captain and, like, Sean's kind of fighting back against him. Yeah, he he kind of is like, you know, don't push him too hard. I did that and I kind of regret some of it. But uh, so we see Jason pick a spear up off the wall and the captain's like, you know, I'm going downstairs for a bit to Carlson, man, the wheel. Well, Jason, this is kind of a cool shot. So we're looking from the outside as the rain's pelting the windows, and we see Jason come up behind Carlson and just fucking stick him. Yeah, I was a little confused at that scene. The way he, like, is, like, like where they're standing and how he's sticking them, you don't see any, you don't see the implement, like, go through his body or not that. And I'm like, where the hell is he sticking at? Because at this angle, it looks like he's shoving it up his ass. Yeah, he's like bent over. It would have been way cooler if they showed the spear like coming out through his chest. Well, it probably would have, but the MPA would have cut it. But the captain gets a cool, cool kill because the captain walks back up and finds Carlson dead, and Jason grabs him and slits his throat. 
Yeah, do you notice how they did it in kind of like a slow-mo, too? Yeah, I did notice that. That's not the first, That's not the only time they're going to use slow-mo in this movie. I was very confused. But, uh, so Sean and Rennie walk up to the bridge, and they discover the Captain Dead and Carlson. And this is where, you know, the actor playing Sean has to give his best attempt at emotion. You know, my dad. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You want to talk about how this guy is, like, just nothing. I don't get the sack that he's fast. I don't get that he's sad that his dad is dead. And, okay, so he calls everybody over the radio, over the intercom, and says, we need you to come to the bridge. So... Everybody gets up there and they all like, it's like, what's going on? Oh, and they like stop and they see the bodies. Well, McCullough comes in. He's like, I demand to know what's going on. He sees the captain. Sean, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God. Could you have said that? Like, you couldn't have given any less of a fuck. And then two seconds later, he's like, Sean, you fuck up. Do it right. Yeah, so, so this, this is hilarious because help, and we see Jason. He, Jason knows his uh, technological, like he knows uh, the ins and out of a ship because he knows exactly where to go to uh, take out the communications. Mm-hmm. I, I did think it was hilarious, Cordell, that Sean's like everyone come to the bridge, and like five people show up. Right. Where the hell is everyone else on this cruise? But this is why I like Julius, because Julius shows up with like four other people who we've never seen before. And Julius is basically like um, the deckhand pops up and he's like, this is Jason Voorhees. And of course, McCulloch's like, no way, you're full of shit. And uh, I I like Julius a lot in this scene because he's basically like, all right, we're going to hunt the fucker down. (laughs) And this is where we get probably one of the best lines of the movie, because McCulloch Tells him, like, no, you stay here. You stay with home. We all stay together. And he just looks at uh, McCullough and Julius goes, school is out, McCullough. I know. I, lo- I love Julius. Um, let's see here. So, well, this scene actually really pissed me off, though, Cordell, because the teacher and McCullough are like, well, where's Rennie? And Sean's like sent her to go drop the anchor. So you're telling me, you know people are dead. Let's send fucking Rennie alone to go drop the anchors? <laughs> yeah, let's talk about it. Well, while this is going on, uh, Kelly Hughes about to get it from Jason, too, because doing all this, uh, Eva finds Tamara's body. She does. And this and is she- where we get the most confusing fucking teleportation scheme I've ever seen. I'm yeah, not gonna, I, dude, this made me dizzy. Like, every time I watch this movie, I get dizzy at this scene. Yeah, so a couple notes um, notes here. So Kelly Hugh runs into Jason after discovering Tamara's body, and she runs into the dance floor. And I will note that the dance floor did have booze behind the bar. So, you know, good for you, kids. Um, but, yeah, this scene makes no sense at all, because so Kelly Hugh runs into the dance floor. Jason pops in, like, rips open the doors. Kelly, like, turns the one way. Jason's there. She, like, runs the other way. Jason's there. 
But then she looks and she can't see Jason. Like the camera's her POV. We don't see Jason. She turns around and Jason grabs her by the throat. Like, what the fuck? Dude, all that turning around was making me so dizzy. The, the worst teleportation comes later. We're going to talk about it. But uh, I guess I'll throw it out there, Cordell. Do you have any rational explanation for why Jason can teleport in this movie? Or is it just like weirdness for weirdness sake? I truly couldn't tell you. I mean, considering the fact that Jason's an undead character, you know, in the next movie, we're going to find out that he was brought back, you know, via the Necronomicon from his dad. You know, it's just, you know, that's, you know, later. But, like, considering that Jason's, like, basically evil incarnate, I just always kind of took it like, oh, well, that's just a uh, killer trope in these movies. They can just appear and disappear out of nowhere. You see Jason, you run 30 miles through the woods, you run right into Jason. I will admit, though, it is very, because by cheating like that, it almost makes like nobody has a chance against Jason. And it don't make sense that he's doing it on this boat because technically when he's chasing Rennie and Sean through New York, he doesn't like teleport in front of them. So they run right into him. No, in the last 10 minutes, he like just plays it straight, like just chases them. It's very weird. But yeah, I mean, this this kill's kind of cool, though, because like Jason grabs her and like slowly chokes her and like it's kind of I'm not disturbing, but it's a good kill. And I love at the end, Cordell, once she gets dead, um, Kane Hodder just fucking tosses her like a sack of meat on the ground. Oh, yeah. And they in the behind the scenes, he really fucking threw her to the ground. Like he told Kelly, he says, look, I'm going to throw you to the ground. So, like, brace yourself. Oh, he, it's 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 tough, not tough to watch, but you can tell he just fucking he literally like chucks her away. Um, I mean, it's a good kill. It's a you know, it's a solid scene. It just is kind of weird because he's teleporting around the dance floor. So, Jason, so uh, Julius, him and some of the other guys, they get some tools together that they found some axes and. Shit like that. And they're like, okay, I found all this junk. Take something. I like one of the kids asking, what are you taking, Julius? He's like, nothing. Except this gun. (laughs) Yeah, I did like that. And I love how, see, they start out so good, right, Cordell? Because Julius is like, all right, we're going to hunt him down. And then I guess they all split up. Because this is when we cut to Wayne, who's walking (laughs) around with his camera in one hand, his shotgun in the other. Oh, my gosh. I, Dude, I hate this. I hate that. Like, OK, you might be a film student, but why the hell are you going to hunt for a killer and you're still going to lug around this big ass fucking camera? I thought he was using it as the flashlight. Maybe. Maybe not. He might have. But like pretty soon here, he's going to have to use it to be able to see because so he's going through the bowels of the uh ship over in like you know where the all like the steam rooms are and he gets like some steam thrown into his face and he loses his glasses so he uses the camera to see and he sees someone in front of him 
He doesn't ask who it is. He doesn't say who goes there. He just fires and blows one of his classmates away. Yeah, that was fucking hilarious. <laughs> he just shoots first, asks questions later. But uh, I did like how like Jason steps in front of him, and we have to like see Jason through the camera. <laughs> that was pretty cool. That was cool. So uh, Wayne tries to get away, and he falls down the. Uh, he go, tries to go down the stairs. I tell you what, this guy might be blind without his glasses, but he's doing a fucking hell of a job running down the stairs blind. Oh yeah, he does do a great fucking job. But hey, he does get to uh, he does get to die with uh, JJ because hey. he uh, stumbles on her body. He stumbles on her body. I do. I'm gonna not. I'm not gonna lie. I love his death here. I love this scene. So he finds JJ's body, and he's like JJ. He just slowly like caresses her face, right? Mm-hmm. And then so because he hesitates, Jason comes up. He just picks him up and he fucking hurls this motherfucker onto an electrical box and boy like the sparks the light show the like the actor screaming as he fries to death i love this death it's like uh it's like the better version of that kill from part three when jason throws the guy onto the uh generator or whatever yes it's a it's a cool it's a cool death And I love the shot after when, like, we just see Wayne's body burning. (laughs) That's a cool, cool shot. Hey, now him and now both him and JJ are on fire now. (laughs) She was rocking up that guitar and now he's. Oh, my gosh. So we cut the. So we cut up on deck and we find this other random guy who like only appeared in the bridge scene. He's got an axe. His name is Miles Wolf. Oh, we know his name. And I would like to mention the actor Gordon Curry. <laughs> Thanks, Gordon. <laughs> because he is also a character actor. He was in Puppet Master 4 and 5. Oh, no way. Is he that guy? Is he the main guy? I believe so. He might be. But he was in Puppet Master 4 and 5. He was in a Joel Schumacher movie called Cousins. Oh, no shit. He is that guy. That's awesome. Do you like Puppet Master for them? I haven't seen any of them yet. They're, oh, God. Uh, oh, God. He was also in Poltergeist The Legacy. What's with the fucking Poltergeist connection? What even is that? I don't even know what Poltergeist uh, Legacy Poltergeist Legacy, a horror television series which ran from 96 to 99. Despite bearing the name Poltergeist, the series has almost no connection to the movies. Ah, uh, okay. It's about, a mem- it's about a secret society who fight to protect mankind from the dangers of the occult. Sounds terrible. Oh, I have seen this guy before, this uh, Gordon guy. Uh, Do you remember how I mentioned um, before I mentioned a movie series called Left Behind? Yes. Uh, It's a three movie series about like the the rapture in the Book of Revelations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He plays... uh, 
he plays the main bad guy in those movies. He plays the Antichrist, Nikolai Carpathia. Oh, okay. So I was like, oh, I've seen this guy before. Interesting. Well, there's your shout out, Gordon. Well, uh, whatever your name is, Gordon Curry, this is the most attention you've probably gotten in years. So I yeah, like how he dies, though. I like this scene. He does get a good death. Um, so he's like uh, walking around with his axe and he runs into Jason or Jason pops up behind him. Well, he tries to get Jason with the axe. Jason grabs it, throws the axe away. And uh, I, love the, I love how the axe just like go like just falls like several feet where Julius is. So Julius knows uh, he's like, oh, shit, something's happening. <laughs> Well, Jason grabs the guy, fucking picks him up, and throws him onto, I think it's like the radio antenna or something. Well, what happens is he tries to escape Jason, so he so he tries to, like, climb up the uh, this ladder. Oh, yeah, more teleporting Jason. And Jason just teleports up the ladder and just fucking grabs him and just throws him down onto the radio transmitter. And then we see Julius under on uh, like the level below with his shotgun walking around. <laughs> Julius is like going around acting like a badass. And he looks up and sees the fucking guy impaled. Well, Jason grabs Julius and he just throws his ass overboard. <laughs> <laughs> Which, hey, give Julius some credit because he's like swimming alongside the ship for like the next 20 minutes. That is true. Um, so this is when we also get, uh, so Jason is stalking around the ship. Well, Rennie's back in her cabin and we learn that, uh, McCullough, uh, locked her in basically, I think. Right. Cause they're like, oh, we, we got a scene where Rennie set the anchor down and this made me laugh Cordell because, uh, we see someone stalking her and we think it's Jason, but it's just McCullough and he walks up and he goes, do you think dropping an anchor in the middle of the storm makes any sense? And again, I talked to my TV. I was like, I don't know. Does it? Like, maybe it does. I'm not a fucking naval person. Are you? I am not. I don't. Well, I don't know if it makes sense in the middle of a storm, but. But I'm just like, who are you, McCullough? Are you a fucking, you know, naval guy? Like, maybe it does make sense. I don't know. But, um. This is a cool scene, though, because Rennie's by the window. Oh, I love this. She hallucinates. Is this when she hallucinates, like, deformed Jason by the bed, but Jason pops through the window? Yeah, she sees, like, a ghostly vision of Jason, of kid Jason, going, help me, help me. And then Jason, like, just comes up to the porthole, slams his head through it, and then starts trying to choke her out. And this is this is kind of I was like worried because that actress's face. Did you see that Cordell is like right next to like what looks like sharp glass? Yeah, I noticed that. As a matter of fact, uh, right here uh, in the trivia section at around 55 minutes in the scene where Jason reaches through the porthole and grabs Rennie, Jensen Daggett was reportedly really terrified. Her face was just inches away from a large and very sharp piece of glass that had become stuck in the window frame, and the actor who played Jason was unknowingly pulling her towards it. 
Oh, yeah, it shows in the scene. I was like, oh, man, I would not want to be the actress there. But uh, this is a cool scene, actually. So she takes the Stephen King pen. Remember that? <laughs> and she stabs Jason in the eye. Well, he, uh, you know, whoops outside and rips it out. And we get like this, like, liquid coming out of his eye socket. I love that. I love that visual. Which I thought was pretty cool. Um, so then we get, we, we saw earlier McCullough, like, grabbed, like, a flare gun. Because he thinks the deckhand is the guy doing all this killing. And he's going through the kitchen. And this, again, Cordell, is where I was like, who the fuck is cooking? Like, because there's, like, baskets of bread. There's, like, all this food. And I'm like, where's the cook? <laughs> yeah, Stephen Seagal's not here. I know, right? He's locked. He's locked in the fucking freezer. <laughs> With uh, what's that? What was that private's name? I know you know it. Nash. Nash. Yeah, we needed Nash in this movie. <laughs> oh man. Well, McCulloch's like going through the kitchen, and he runs into the deckhand. Like comes at him with a knife, but then runs off. Like I don't know. I didn't really understand it. But uh, this is when we see. Uh, so meanwhile, back down with Wayne, the fire from his body is like kind of spread to the um, spread to the fuel tank there. So Sean goes and gets Rennie, and they start going downstairs to the engine room. Well, like Titanic style, the fucking engine blows up. And we also get a random scene here of the female teacher. She grabs like four students we've never seen before into the like dance hall, and she's basically like, "Oh, stay here. I'll be back for you later." Now, mind you, we saw the students getting ready to get on this boat. And there was like 20, 30 students, right? Mm-hmm. We've only seen a few of them get killed by Jason. Yeah, I don't know where the rest of these kids are, honestly. It's very strange. They are either killed off screen and we never see them, or they were all taken to the dance floor and told to wait here <laughs> while this ship is filling up with water. There was only one lifeboat on this whole damn boat. Yes. So so Sean and Rennie, they get like we get like what I call Titanic with no budget as like the water fills up the hallway and they got to get out from the engine room. And uh, so they in in essence. This teacher just committed involuntary. Manslaughter. Well, to be fair, Cordell, if these kids are so dumb as to like stay there when like water's coming in, like. That's that's their fault. I wouldn't think that maybe they choke. I mean, I've never been stuck on a boat as it's filling up with water, but I would like to think that I would try to escape and just couldn't because the pressure is keeping the door shut. I don't know. It's just kind of horrifying to think that like half of Crystal Lake High just like sank <laughs> to the bottom of the Atlantic. Well, we don't. All right, we'll get there. Hold that thought. Hold that thought, Cordell, because we get the best. My favorite McCullough. Not my favorite. They run up back to the bridge, right? Sean and Rennie. And Sean's basically like, you know, the ship is sinking. Like, we are screwed. What does McCullough say, Cordell? Um, 
<clears throat> she never should have set foot on the ship. This is all your fault. <laughs> <laughs> the ship is fucking sinking. I don't get it. I don't That's understand cool. how with with where was this guy's mindset at? Like, um, the ship is sinking. <laughs> Students under his care are dead. Your whole class is dead. She never should have set foot on the ship. This is all your fault. <laughs> oh, oh God. wow. I, um, I do not like McCullough. This guy is, if you took everything, every asshole in the remake and combined them into one, they wouldn't be as much of an asshole as McCullough is. I, I almost, I really wish Tamayo was still alive at this point. Because this guy cannot die fast enough. <laughs> so uh, this is when we also so right away we get the line because the teacher's like, well, I, I started the lifeboat. And uh, she's like, I left some students in the rec room. And Sean just looks at her and goes, what rec room? <laughs> Again, just gone. Like, you know, everybody else is the students gone. So they run out to the deck and can, the. Uh, can, I you, can I read this line to you on the uh, Jason Takes Manhattan Wikipedia page? Please do. With the other students who were left in the disco room seemingly dead, McCullough, Van Dusen, Rennie, and Sean escape aboard a life raft. <laughs> so I'm not the only one who thinks that these people just basically left like. 20 of their classmates to die. Oh, 100% they did, dude. But, um, so they run out onto the deck, and up pops Crazy Ralph with a knife in hand. And, you know, McCullough's got his flare gun, but he can't even fire it. Well, the deckhand slumps over, because Jason's put his fucking axe in the guy's back. (laughs) Which is kind of sad. But, uh, yeah, so they start getting in the lifeboat, going down the ladder. And this is when, like, they look up, and Jason is just, like, standing there watching them. And this is when, like, McCullough has to accept that, like, okay, there really is a Jason Voorhees, right? I, I like that. But even then, like, when he, like, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but, like, when he finally, when Jason comes to get him, he's still kind of like, you. You, it can't be. Um, yeah, I mean, McCullough, I don't know what the fuck this guy's issue is, honestly. So so they get in the lifeboat, and uh, I thought this was kind of a cool touch, though, because Julius pops up, like, in the style of Jason at the end of the first movie. Did you notice that, Cordell? I did, and I'm really glad that they didn't accidentally kill him. I know, but, like, he just, like, jumps up into the boat, and, uh, you know, so they saved one person, at least. And they saved Toby. Toby's in the scene. So Toby's oh, survive. Oh, I didn't notice if the dog was in the boat or not. He is in the boat? Yes. Okay, all right, well, there's a plot hole fixed, for those of you who care. Which isn't really going to matter, because when... So, okay, so they all get in the boat, and they're, like, rowing day and night, and McCullough, you know, he's being a useless fuck, sitting in the back of the boat talking shit while 
the two Julius and Sean are rowing the boat. I was gonna say that McCullough is McCullough is still a dick. Like these two students are fucking rowing day and night, and he's like, "How about it, Captain? Have you found our course or whatever?" I'm like, "What the fuck, man?" Oh, at that point, I think all four of them should have ganged up, ripped that damn uh, life preserver off of him, and just thrown him into the fucking water. Yeah, Julius and Sean should have thrown his ass overboard. Like, what a fucking douchebag. I mean, it is not like Julius couldn't have placed him, like, cocked him with one punch. So they get, so they're rowing, it's now night, and they get excited because they see the Statue of Liberty. They see Manhattan. So how do you take it, Cordell? Because I I take it they get off the boat onto the lifeboat at night. And then they're rowing all day, and then they get to New York at night? Yes. And it should be said, by the way, guys, we don't know if the boat actually sinks. You know why? Because there's no budget to show the boat sinking. Yeah, we we don't know if the boat actually sank. Maybe those people survived. They're just chilling, getting drunk in the rec room, you know? Yeah, they're probably kind of like sitting there like, where the fuck are our teachers? (laughs) <laughs> you know, all two of them that were there. So. <clears throat> and this is when this movie really goes off the rails. So they dock. They get to New York. No, 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 Cordell. They get to Vancouver. Well, OK. <laughs> and Toby is gone again. Just like that. Yeah. He's just gone. He's not in the scenes when they like get off the boat, right? Yeah, I don't remember seeing Toby when they get off. And I love McCulloch's even like, you picked a great place to dock. It's like, oh shut the God. fuck. <laughs> so they're in like some like warehousey district, right? And this is when, um, okay, Cordell, I have to, I have a question for you. Did Jason swim all the way to New York, or did Jason hang on to their lifeboat? I would. <laughs> You want to know what I always pictured in my head? What? Do you know the scene in the first Pirates of the Caribbean? When the undead pirates are walking on the bottom of the ocean floor? You think Jason just walked? Yes. (laughs) Because Jason is not a swimmer. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's the reason why he drowned. He wasn't a very good... I also do not believe... That he could have hung onto that lifeboat and either them not notice or him like not flip it and just kill them. I like to imagine he's just chilling there, like listening to McCullough talk shit, like, ooh, I'm gonna get you. I'm gonna get you. He's just hanging by one hand. Julius is tired, he looks over, he's like, All right, Jason, you wanna take a turn rowing? Jason's like, Okay. <laughs> You know, he's like, all right, well, well, let's call a temporary truce, guys. Um, (laughs) But so this is how you know this is a movie about New York in the 80s, because they get off the boat. They start walking down the street and about two seconds later, they get mugged. (laughs) Yes. By the junkies from the beginning. Who I thought the one guy was Native American, but I guess they're both supposed to be Hispanic. I didn't get that. I thought one of them was Asian. Like, one of them was sporting what looked like a Fu Manchu. Oh, I thought he was supposed to be Native American. I don't know. 
<laughs> they're, they're bad character, stereotypes, whatever they are. Character development is not this movie's strongest suit. Um, so, you know, they're like, give us all your money, you know. And uh, McCullough and Julius hand over the cash. If the one guy takes a shine to Rennie, and this is really sleazy, actually, because he's like, hey, princess, you want to go on a date if you're free? And I'm just like, ugh. Now, this movie, now this scene right here, because I'm kind of blanking, but does McCullough just... Does he even try to stop them from taking Rennie, or is he just kind of like, oh, they're taking Rennie, okay. So here's what happens. This, this makes no sense, like everything we're about to talk about, Cordell, because um, they take Rennie, right? The guys, they run off of her, and the guy's like, if you try to follow us, or blow her brains out. And Julius is like, all right, let's go get him. And McCullough's like, no, 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 didn't you hear her? They're going to blow her brains out if we go after her. Then McCullough's like, all right, let's split up. And I'm like, what? <clears throat> That's literally what he says. He's okay. like, don't go after her for like two seconds. And he's like, all right, let's split up and go after her. Oh, and it should be mentioned that I think the, one of the muggers like took that uh, Statue of Liberty necklace of hers or something and threw it to the ground. Yeah, because Sean picks it up then. Remember Sean in this movie, guys? We don't. So Julius, he splits up and he go he finds a payphone. And this scene's awesome. This is more Jason smashing because he, he picks it up. And he's like, operator, get me the police. Jason fucking just walks up and rams his arm through the phone booth. <laughs> this has got to be like the highlight of the movie. So yeah, Julius, this is the best scene. Of the movie. So Julius gets out of the phone booth and he climbs up a ladder to a rooftop. And, you know, I believe this is where teleporting Jason strikes again. Yeah, he just he just appears on the rooftop. So Julius gets in his fighting position and he's like talking to himself like, okay, right hook, left hook, left hook, right hook, look at this, that. And he goes up to Jason. And and Jason humors him. Get out of him. Yeah, Jason's like, all right, let's see what you got, kid. And Julius fucking wails on him for like two minutes. And what I love about this scene is this was all real. Like, like. Uh, Kane Hodder told the actor playing Julius to really hit me. That actor was really hitting a hard-ass hockey mask, and his hands were really that fucked up by the end. Oh, really? But they had to do this take, like, several times. So Kane Hodder admitted admitted at one point it was like, yeah, after a while, that really did start to hurt. That had there. Imagine having to punch a fucking hockey mask over and over again. Oh, dude, like his hands are like chafed and bleeding when he's done. But I love it because he starts out really strong. Like he is he is hooking Jason and Jason's getting knocked back several steps. No, I mean, it's, it's a it's a great scene because this is kind of like Jason gets a little playful for a second. Like Jason's kind of like, all right. All right, you want to punch me? Go for it. And he actually lets him, like, basically throw everything he's got at him. And, and I, I love that. Like normally when people try to hit Jason, he stops them. Like, he grabs their arm or he grabs their weapon. But no, he lets uh, Julius just go right at it. Dare I say, Cordell, is there, there's a little mutual respect. Because, like, Jason lets Julius wear himself out, right? 
And Julius even is like, all right, the jig is up. And I love Julius when he's like, all right, take your best shot, motherfucker. And Jason's Jason's all polite about it, right? He grabs Julius by the collar. (laughs) In this scene, Jason becomes a one-punch man. And with just one punch, he knocked Julius's fucking head off. Yeah, no, this this scene is awesome. Like, this is if you remember one thing from this movie, it's got to be this scene. And I love how they, you know, how they got like the POV of the head falling. Yeah, and then it goes into the dumpster. They just threw a camera over the side of the building and just recorded it spinning. <laughs> That's awesome. But you know, you talk about. I couldn't help but feel like maybe Jason was like, okay. Because, okay, when people attack Jason, they either have a weapon in their hands or they're running away, right? Mm-hmm. So this guy actually tries to put up a fight with Jason. No weapons, just fisticuffs, like hand-to-hand combat. And it's like, yeah, I think Jason kind of respects this. He's like, okay, I finally got some competition here. Oh, yeah, I, I definitely. He gives him the, he gives him, you know, the honorable death, so to speak. He's he he gives the honorable death to Julius that he is not going to give to McCullough. Yeah, 100 percent. Julius puts up a fair, honest fight. and Jason's like, all right, nice try, kid. I'm just going to knock your head off and be done. I love that. I just love the scene of the head like. Falling off of the roof and then going into the dumpster. But uh, so poor Rennie, meanwhile, though, she gets taken back to these guys alleyway lair, I guess, where like they they fucking inject her with heroin, or at least that's how I take it. I really want to know what kind of like OSHA laws were on set, because I really like when we see that one guy like shooting up at the start of the movie, I'm like, did they really just go to like a couple of drug addicts and say hey shoot up what we film you nah it's gotta be fake (laughs) yeah it's gotta be fake but it looks so fucking real it it does look very real you get the close-up of the needle going into her arm which always that's what i'm fucking saying oh my god dude like i i don't like needles that much so I so like I saw him like just jam that needle into her and shoot her up and I'm like, ooh. And uh, so the the one guy gets her down and this is when it gets kind of dark for a second because he's like, this can either be smooth or rough, your choice. And I'm like, ooh. Yeah. Um. He's about she. I mean, this is where the movie goes from making Jason a full on villain to. A hero. Yeah, it's Jason Voorhees to the rescue because he pops up. Although this death is pretty lame, Cordell. He just grabs the guy with a needle and he like shoves the needle through his chest. But like, don't you want a cooler death than that? See, I didn't mind this death. I think the death that his buddy gets is kind of lame. Yeah, his buddy's death sucks because his buddy comes back and he he uh, empties a revolver into Jason, which doesn't stop him, of course. And Jason just takes him and like smacks his head into a pipe. Like it's but, it's very anticlimactic. But let's face it, Jason completely endorses the idea of homicide, right? Mm-hmm. But there's, if there's one thing that Jason will not tolerate, is drug use, sex. And rape. 
You know why, Cordell? What were those counselors doing when they should have been watching Jason every minute? They were making love while that young boy drowned. He wasn't a very good swimmer. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, I'm loving this. So, uh... So, Rennie escapes. And her vision is all, like, blurred and shit, like... Actually, where the fuck does... Oh, no. Okay, so this is when Jason goes to kill Julian after the scene, right? We skipped ahead. Because Rennie... No, no, uh, Julius died, and then uh, Jason rescues Rennie. But then Rennie finds Sean, so where does Jason go? Jason just disappears. Yeah, Jason disappears, because don't forget. So, Rennie uh, runs into Sean, and at the same time, we see McCullough and creepy lesbian uh Stephen King pen teacher they oh, they they run into an NYPD officer and this is fucked up so we cut to the teacher walking along the street right she's just minding her own business the fucking cop pops out behind her gun drawn he's like put your hands up and i'm like wow this guy's you know like 20 years too early for that kind of behavior well Ooh. he's irish <laughs> they even credit him in the thing as Irish police officer. Yeah, he just fucking pulls a gun, and then McCullough's like, "Nah, nah, she's with me." So, and, uh, so they go with the police, and then they run. Uh, they find Sean and Rennie, and the cop is like basically getting, uh, tells them to get into the vehicle. Well, they get in and. Guess whose head is in the front seat? Fucking Julius. Jason's, uh, <laughs> Jason's uh, taking a page from Michael Myers' book. You know, he's he's playful for a second. I love the cop's reaction to that, though, when he sees it. He's like, oh, shit. And he grabs his radio. Dispatch, dispatch. But then Jason pops out of the alley and just drags him in. That was cool. He drags him in, starts choking him with the... Uh, uh, what the wire from the radio and ends up pulling it out. Yep. So no help is coming for them. So Rennie climbs into the front seat. Now this is not good because she's under the influence. Oh, this scene made me like rewind the movie. <laughs> so she gets into the front seat and Jason's standing in front of him and Rennie does, you know, a pretty reasonable thing. She floors it. She's like, all right, I'm going to run this motherfucker over. Well, Jason's too smart for that because he kind of like tucks and rolls over the hood. <laughs> well, so Rennie, and this is where I'm like, all right, this is your chance. Like, get the fuck out of there. You're in a car, right? You can outrun Jason. Well, Rennie turns the corner and all of a sudden the film goes into like frame by frame slow motion because she sees young deformed Jason, who now has no hair, weirdly enough, just standing in the road. And I thought my disc was broken, Cordell. Because <laughs> it literally, like, slows down frame by frame. It, I was like, what the fuck? Oh, but, uh, I love it. I love it so much, dude. It's so fucking dumb. <laughs> Since Rennie's fucking, like, you know, drugged out of her mind, she just fucking crashes the car, which sets on fire. 
And this is at the point I just have to assume that the teacher's actress quit, Cordell. Yes, because she gets out, McCullough gets out, Sean gets out, and they just happen to leave her in the car. And then, well, she's fucking dead because the car just fucking explodes. Like, what the? Is there anything in the trivia about that? I'm looking at trivia because I was going to read some trivia here and I don't see anything about it. Like, literally, you're sitting next to this person. You get out of the car. It, they all wait till they're like 20 feet away and then they turn. They're like, wait, what about Miss So-and-so? And then cut to the car blowing up. It's like, what? Um, what happened? Yeah, I'm not seeing anything. I'm not seeing anything in this about uh about her th- about the actress who was the teacher. Nothing in this at all about the uh There's only one thing in the trivia about that character. It says Colleen Van Dusen was named after the Van Dusen Lodge, which was the name of the cabin in Camp Nobisco, which is the one Alice and Pamela first met in the original 1980 movie. So there you go. They named a character after a throwback to the original Friday the 13th that probably nobody remembered. Well, that is disappointing. Yeah, that that's fucking lame that the teacher just blows up, dude. <laughs> <laughs> it's just dumb. Oh, I take that back. There's one other thing here about uh, that teacher. Colleen's car is a 1974 BMW 2002. Ah, okay. Well, we don't. Whatever. <laughs> Can so, I- yeah. Can can I read some actual trivia now? Yeah, hit us with some trivia, Cordell. Let's hear it. In the subway, when Jason is chasing Rennie and Sean, Sean pulls the emergency brake to knock Jason back. On the poster to the right of Sean, sprouting graffiti are the words, Jason lives. A subtle nod to the sixth installment of the franchise. That's I thought cool. I did see that the one time. The original posters for the film featured Jason ripping through an I Love New York poster. The first poster, Jason is holding a bloody knife, which was cleaned in a second poster for fear that the blood was too graphic. However, both posters were dropped following a complaint from the New York Tourism Committee. And I love that original poster. I'm so mad, Cordell, that the Blu-ray doesn't have that. I like it, too. I've... I actually thought about getting a copy of it because I already have a Jason Takes Manhattan poster. Oh, that's so awesome. But I was thinking about getting that one, too, to hang up next to it. I mean, that's just a cool poster. I'm so mad Scream Factory for the Blu-ray. They couldn't get that as like the alternate cover for it. Um, That would be in dope. The origi- in the original script, when Jason makes it to the dock, a dog starts barking at him and he kicked it. Kane Harder, who was playing Jason, felt that kicking a dog was going too far, so the scene was dropped. I've actually heard that one before. Hmm. I did not hear that. 
I mean, that's good of Kane Hodder, because, yeah, I don't think Jason is the kind to hurt animals besides Muffin in part two. Uh, let's see. What else? I'm trying to think. Because there's a lot of trivia. Well, I'm not going to read this whole thing, but originally, did you see that they thought about bringing Tina back? Yeah, I've heard that a lot over the years. That the, like, uh, So originally, that's happened a couple times. Because didn't they want Tina back in like an asylum or something? I know for part two. They wanted to, like, put Ginny in an asylum, too, for a sequel. Yeah, they were going to they were going to bring her back for this movie. But apparently she wanted a higher a higher salary and Paramount said no. So when she said no, they decided to rewrite uh, the entire script. Hey, Laura Park Lincoln, you are not worth it. I'm sorry. (laughs) Well, she might have dodged a bullet. (sighs) Oh. So this is when the movie gets into what the fuck mode, Cordell. Should we dive in? Sure. Because after this car blows up, Rennie starts staring at the burning gasoline. And this is when finally the movie says, huh, it's time for a random Rennie flashback. Yeah, at this point in the movie, that's finally going to tell us why this bitch has been seeing Jason so much. But it doesn't tell us anything, Cordell, because it cuts back to her as a little girl with her uncle in a boat. And this is when, like, the uncle is a fucking douchebag. Because he's, a, he, first of all, he's a little creepy. Did you get that, Cordell? Because he's like, you've been coming here every summer. Ho, ho, ho. Oh, dude, please don't do that. That's <laughs> just, ugh. And uh, he's like, you haven't learned how to swim yet. And, you know, she's like, ah, don't worry, I'll take swimming lessons this year. And the uncle is like, that's what you said last year. Ho, ho, ho. And then he just picks her up and just fucking tosses yeah. her into the lake. I'm like, oh, my God. Because that's how you teach a little kid to swim, right? You just fucking toss him into the water. Yeah, you know, you you teach your kids how to shoot guns by shooting the gun at them, apparently. <laughs> so... The uncle is a fucking dick. Well, Rennie's in the lake, and I guess we have to take it, Cordell, that, like, this is before part two? Maybe because kid Jason drags her down? I mean, it's possible. But hold up, though, because is this still all in her fucking head? Is this real? The movie gives us no explanation. Ladies and gentlemen, if we sound confused at this point, it's because we have no idea what the fuck is going on. Yeah, like this, I, I I don't know how to read this scene. Are we to take it? This is like 1979 or something, and like boy Jason and the lake dragged her down? I'm going to assume since Jason appeared to her as a young boy. So this is probably even before Mrs. Voorhees was killed. And regarding Boy Jason, because technically wasn't the lake and that campground like closed by this point. Well, yeah, but there were other properties on Crystal Lake. But regarding regarding Boy Jason, who drags her down, I think my uh, my note here sums it up best, Cordell, where I say version number four, question mark of the form Jason, question mark, (laughs) question mark. Holy shit. Every single time we see kid Jason in this movie, he looks different. 
Did you notice that, Cordell? Oh, trust me, I knew that Jason was different in every scene. Like, one minute he has hair, one minute he's bald, one minute he looks normal, one minute he looks like a mongoloid. Yeah, it's... And that's why I want to watch this with the commentary to see if the director, like, says anything about that, because it makes... The only way this could have gotten better was if they had just suddenly had, like, a black kid come out and be like, hey, I'm Jason. (laughs) It's black Jason. That would make it hilarious. So basically, we don't even get a conclusion to the flashback. We just get back to Rennie, and this is when she turns to her, her uncle, and she's like, you, you pushed me into the water. And uh, Sean actually finally, like, punches the uncle out, you know, you son of a bitch. Yeah, okay. McCullough is an asshole. I get it. I'm not going to defend him. But, like, he did this. He pushed her into the water, like... 19 years ago. So explain to me why Rennie's boyfriend suddenly now has the audacity to punch him out and say, you stay away from us. And they just leave him. <laughs> like, like, I guess we're I guess we're to take it that Rennie like repressed that and now she remembers it. Okay, he threw her in the lake, and that was pretty a dick thing, but that doesn't make it. That's mm, what what am, what am I? What are the words I'm trying to look for here? I don't think that. Yeah, okay, maybe that warrants getting you know punched in the face, but does that really warrant just leaving him behind and saying, "Fuck you, take on Jason yourself"? Yes, it does. Because we hate this fucking guy. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, you know what? I'm not gonna try to rationalize it, because what what Jason does to him is actually pretty cool. It is. So they say fuck you to McCullough. They run off. Well, McCullough sees old Jason pop up in the alley, and this is when we get the most egregious yet kind of cool Jason teleporting ever, Cordell. You know what I'm talking about? When he runs into the building and then like. <laughs> He throws McCullough out the second story window. So McCullough sees Jason in the alleyway. McCullough runs into a building. The camera pans upward and Jason throws him out the window. He just fucking launches him. Like, what the fuck? And I like that visual of like Jason at the uh, like at the window looking out. Mm hmm. You know, yeah, we, forgot, we forgot to mention one of my favorite scenes in this movie. You know, this was before even Julius died was when Jason got on the dock when they got to Vancouver and he sees oh. that billboard with the hockey mask. We did forget about that. Yeah, that's that's like a yuck yuck scene, though. You know, that's like ha ha ha. But I kind of like it because it's like, the, the, you know, Jason has never been, you know, to a part of any place that has like billboards and stuff like that. So it makes sense. He would be a little confused. Oh, we're going to get to Jason's behavior. Cause I'm not a big fan. I think they really waste an opportunity of Jason. Oh, trust me. I, if your complaint is anything like mine, trust me, we're going to be singing. <laughs> 
So, yeah, so Jason hops down, though, but first we get to have to get to McCulloch because Jason picks this fucker up. And did you notice uh, that in the barrel of sludge, they, like, explicitly show, like, the rat floating in it? And, yeah, like, the, yep, the rat died. <laughs> the rat did die. But Jason grabs this fucker, and this is a nasty-looking barrel of, like, waste. And oh Jason my- just fucking drowns him in it. No, they they call it a bale of toxic waste. But, like, when I think of toxic waste, I think of, like, well, we're going to see it at the end of the movie, like, liquid that makes your skin melt, right? Mm-hmm. So does he drown him, or does he basically, like, cause him to fucking deteriorate? How cool would it have been if, like, Jason pulled him back out and, like, his top half was melted? It, it, see, that would have been awesome. But they don't have the budget, and the MPAA is like, gotta stick up its ass. And what I'm trying to figure out was, like, during the commentary, they made it sound like that was a real bale of, like, nasty water they dumped him in. <laughs> you know what? This actor deserves it. He comes off as such a dick. I'm sorry, bro. Well, the, were... actor, the actor was, like, really cool about it. Like, he says, like, he got out, he gave Kane Hotto a big thumbs up and shit. I don't know. I just don't. That that looked gross. But yeah, so a fitting end to the worst character, I would say. <clears throat> well, so it turns out, Cordell, though, that Rennie and Sean are equally dumb, though, because I think they ran like one alley over before they decide to stop. And let's have a big romance scene. Oh, my God. Like, literally, they know Jason is out there. And they literally stop in this alley, and she goes, this is when she does the whole, like, when I found out my parents died, I was all alone in school. Everyone that I get that I care about dies. Well, it's not going to be like that this time. And you get the obligatory, like, kiss. But thankfully, Jason busts through a couple of boxes, and he realized, oh, yeah, we were really dumb. Why didn't we just keep running? <laughs> And now we get the longest chase scene ever in a movie. But we get some actual New York footage, at least. Well, we're going to get there. Well, okay, maybe. Do you you think, like, the subway scene was all New York? I think so. I don't know, though. I don't know. I've never been to New York, and I know New York now looks a lot different than it did in the 80s but i don't know if this is new york i i have been to new york but i haven't rode the subway so i couldn't tell you um i i think it's new york i think when they're on the subway it is new york but i don't but we get one of the second coolest scenes in this movie so rennie and sean they run and they run through this door into the subway jason like comes up after them and he doesn't open the door. He just busts his way through the fucking glass. Yeah, that is badass. I love that scene so fucking much. A lot of glass gets broken in this movie. <laughs> oh, trust me. There's going to be some more glass breaking before we're done. I know. It's one of my favorite trivia scenes coming up. So, um, Yeah, take it, Corvo. So they run down the stairs to the subway, and they run through the... Uh, they get on the subway tra- train and it starts to take off and they sit down 
And Rennie looks over, and I love Rennie when she sees Jason, like when they think they get away and then she sees him, and her eyes just go all bug-eyed. So she see, looks over, and she sees Jason, and Jason is just in the other car next to her, and he's looking around, and then he notices him. So they get up, and they start running through the subway, and Jason's chasing after him. <laughs> I love that Jason shoves a woman off to the side. All right, but do you take issue, Cordell, with the fact that, like, so we have Jason amongst the people, so to speak, right? He's in a crowded place, which we've never I seen take Jason. a lot of issue with the fact that Jason is ignoring everybody around him and is so focused on these two Crystal Lakers. Jason should be massacring all these people, right? Like, I think uh, a lot of issue with the fact that we hardly ever see Jason without, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but does Jason ever pick up a machete in this movie? No, he doesn't. But that's my point. You, you, in the New Texas Chainsaw Massacre, when Leatherface is on the bus, that's what we should be getting here, right? Like, okay. we should see Jason fucking killing all these people. Can I divert from the movie for one second? Yeah. I want to talk about a scene. Remember I talked about uh, Vengeance 2 Bloodlines at the beginning? Mm -hmm. There was a scene. So basically the plot of that is Jason's dad tells Jason, we need to capture um, Tommy Jarvis and we need to capture his two teenage daughters and we need to kill them all. We need to kill all three of them and the Jarvis bloodline and bring your mom back to life. So we get a scene where the cops have blocked off the entrance to Crystal Lake. And it's like a big, you know, traffic jam. You know, there's a bunch of people. There's like a party bus, a bunch of like women and stuff like that. We get a scene of. The actor playing Jason, he comes out. The cops start shooting him. He kills them. He starts going up to all these vehicles. He starts killing people left and right. He's pulling people out of cars. He goes onto a party bus. He just slaughters everybody. That is what should be happening in this movie. But they don't have the budget for it, unfortunately. What, we're we're going to talk about the te- the trailer for this movie at the end. Cause, have you ever seen the trailer to this movie? What, the where it's just Jason standing by the uh, water yeah, or whatever? By the water overlooking Manhattan, and then he turns around and just shows random New Yorkers screaming. Mm-hmm. That makes you think that Jason is coming to New York to fuck people up. Which he does not do. He, he just, he, okay, he fucks up two junkies and a cop. And the sewer worker. And a sewer worker and a, a cook at a restaurant. But I don't even, I don't think he kills the cook. He probably just knocks him out with that, but we'll get to that. Yeah, I wish, uh, I just wish they would have put like a couple more random kills in the subway. You know what I mean? Like, well, like just that, have, woman, that woman he pushes out of his way. How cool would it have been if he just grabbed her and just broke, like, snapped her neck or something, threw her body to the side and just yeah. caused, like, instant pandemonium? 
Yeah, you should you should have had Jason. If you have to have less people on the car, that's fine. But you should have Jason like rampaging through. So Renny and Sean, they get to the end of this subway car and they try screaming like saying, you know, someone help us. And we just get a shot of like this dude all drugged out looking at him like, uh, fuck you. (laughs) So Sean, he's smart. He pulls the fucking emergency stop lever. (laughs) <laughs> and I like I I love the scene of Jason sliding across the floor. And then he gets right back up. He gets up and we get another cool shot here. I I just kind of like the lighting in this scene of Jason like stepping out of the uh subway car into the subway tunnel. Yeah, uh Sean actually mans up for once cuz he's been hiding. He just tackles Jason and fucking fries him on the rail. And that's a pretty good scene. Although yeah, that, I would argue that this probably just makes Jason stronger. <laughs> yeah, I think we've proven that electricity does not uh, hurt Jason at all. But, you know, Rennie and Sean don't know that. So they sit there for a couple seconds and they just look at Jason while he's frying. And uh, they go up top and they find themselves in the middle of Times Square. And this is a good shot of Times Square. You mean the, the like pan around when they got like the cheesy music playing? Yeah, they they you you see like a promotional poster for Tim Burton's Batman coming out. You see uh all the big signs at Times Square. You see something for Canon. You see <laughs> this made me. I saw an old Burger King sign. Yeah, I, I did notice that. That was fun. <laughs> I saw a fucking thing for Kodak. Who's thought about Kodak since the early two thousands? <laughs> yeah, this scene this scene is pretty good because Rennie and Sean start like walking, and uh, then we pan back and we see Jasons with Times Square all around him, which is a cool shot. And I gotta say, Cordell, even though I do want Jason to kill people, I do really like the punk scene with Jason. I think that's fun because <laughs> Jason like is walking through, and there's all these punks listening to a boombox. And Jason just walks up and kicks it over. And, you know, they pull out, like, knives and chains. I need to ask you something. What? So there was a channel on YouTube that I listened to, and he takes, like, these old movies from, like, these horror movies, and he kind of, like, remasters them, you know, kind of makes them a little bit clearer. Mm-hmm. He did it with Man Behind the Mask. He did it with the song in this movie, uh, Dark of the Night. Okay. Well, he does it with the song that those punks are listening to. And I swear to God, it sounds like uh, it sounds like Will Smith. It sounds like the Fresh Prince singing. Really interesting. I, you might have to go back and listen to it. I could have swore it was DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. But, I yeah. mean- <laughs> but oh, go ahead. No, no, I mean, uh, that'd be interesting. I haven't looked. Is it really them? Has anyone, like... I don't know. I I didn't look too much into it at the time. I'm like, that sounds like Will Smith. (laughs) Interesting. I mean, that would be, like, really cool if that was the case. I don't know. It'd be really cool since, you know, he did do a song for Elm Street. But uh, I do love this scene where, okay, so he comes up and he kicks their boom bass. You dead meat slime bag. He just slowly turns around, just shows him his fucked up face. 
<laughs> yeah, that is, that is funny. It's cool, man. It's cool. It's cool, man. And they just run away. See, that's like, I don't know. See, I'm like, I don't want Jason to be self-aware, you know what I mean? But, like, that's the one moment where I'm like, all right, that's pretty funny. And piece of trivia here. Kane Hardo says that one of the most fun parts of his tenure as Jason were the scenes in Times Square. He says that spectators were lined up and down the block watching and filming, and he didn't take, want to take off the mask to destroy their illusion of Jason. He said that every once in a while he'd turn his head and look at them and watch them all go crazy. Oh, yeah. I mean, how fucking cool would it be to, uh, you know, like, go to Times Square and see fucking Jason Voorhees? You know, for some promotion he did for this movie, he went dressed in costume on Arsenio Hall. Yeah, I have seen that. The, the whole joke is he asks some questions and he never answers. Yeah, he he did the whole interview in uh, costume, not saying a word. And he pulls it off. It's really fun. Yeah, Kane Hodder's awesome. So, uh, listen, you want to take it from here? Yeah, yeah. So Rennie, Rennie and Sean see that Jason's chasing them, and uh, they run into this diner. And as we get some more like stereotypical uh, New York kind of jokes, because we see the waitress, she's talking on the phone, puts the phone down. They run in, they're like, we need to call the police, we need your phone. The waitress is like, there's a phone in the back, but it's out of order. And, you know, Rennie's <laughs> like, Look, this is not a joke, there's a maniac chasing us. Do you want you want to say the line, Cordell? <laughs> Welcome to New York. Yeah, exactly. Well, old Jason busts through the fucking wall, and uh, the the big cook in the back. Did you notice he like pushes the one guy out of the way, Cordell? <laughs> yes, I love that. But you know who that cook is, right? That is Ken Kutzner. Because no matter what people say, history is vindicated because Kane Hodder takes Ken Kurzinger and he fucks him up as it should be. Because for those of our listeners who don't know, Ken Kurzinger, Ken Kurzinger is the guy who took over Jason in Freddy versus Jason. But I think Kane Hodder shows who the superior Jason was. And um, just a quick aside, Cordell, I know it like everybody says that, but Freddy versus Jason would be way better if it was Kane Hodder. You know, I honestly don't I don't know one way or the other, quite frankly. But I will say Ken Kersinger, he's not a bad Jason. He's just he's kind of like goofy a little bit. He's like in that movie, they really play up the like Jason is the idiot mongoloid type thing. You know what I mean? And uh, I don't know. I don't really like the look of Jason in Freddy versus Jason. But eh, I don't know. I mean, it's not bad, but I am part of the camp where I'm like, if it was Kane Hodder, it would be a little better. I am looking for, oh, here it is. Uh, that waitress who says, welcome to New York. Mm-hmm. Her name is Peggy Hedden, and she is the sister of the film's director, Rob. Oh, wait, hold the phone, people. I'm looking at this trivia. Kurzinger also doubles as Jason in a few brief shots in this movie. Yes, he is. I actually think he was actually in the makeup when he got ran over by Rennie earlier in the film. Oh, really? What do you think is the tell? 
Well, I, I see. I'm going off what I remember from the Crystal Lake Memories documentary, and I think Kurtzner said that that was him, like when Rennie uh, ran him down. Oh, interesting. That's cool. So, yeah, I think that's kind of some cool little. It's just like a cool piece of trivia that like Kane Hodder beats up on the guy who would be Jason and Freddy versus Jason. Oh, um. I found a little bit of extra trivia down here that I didn't realize. Hit me. Uh, the scene where Jason killed Kelly Hugh on the disco floor, that took over 14 hours to complete. Oof. Can you imagine getting picked up and thrown down that many times? <laughs> well, they probably only did that part once. It's all the like, you know, camera angles and like spinning shots and shit. Um, the original script ending featured Jason being completely melted by toxic waste and his soul finally released. But the Ooh. studio changed it so there'd be a chance of a sequel. Well, we'll get to that, but that's interesting. So Rennie and Sean, uh, and this this is the one thing I criticize, especially in this diner, Cordell, because after Jason throws Ken Kurzinger into the uh, mirror, how does he not kill the waitress? He doesn't. He doesn't kill the waitress. There's people in there eating who get up and walk by him to leave, and he doesn't like kill any of them. Yeah, come on. She's even like cowering, and he's like walking up, and then he just walks by. It's like what the fuck. Um, my well, goodness. I know. Wasted opportunity. And I hope you liked our New York scenes, kids, because that was the end of them. Hey, so you remember how we talked about how Scott Reeves is completely useless in this movie? Mm-hmm. And how I mentioned he was a soap star? Mm-hmm. Uh, Scott Reeves is another soap star on a Friday the 13th film and is married to real-life fellow soap opera star Melissa Reeves. Uh, from the from Days in Our Lives, who for many years before meeting Scott dated Tom Fridley, who played Court in Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives. Huh. Small world. You know, who, remember, you remember who Court is, right? Yeah, he's the guy who can't last the whole song. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, uh, Court already? And he's like, I've been going at it for like 10 minutes. Ooh. Anyway. He gets a a memorable death in that movie. He does. That's a good scene in that movie when the whole RV, like, and then Jason stands on top of it. Oh, the Canadian makeup artist who worked on this movie and Freddy vs. Jason is in this. uh, Bill Terizakis. Bill Terizakis. He was the makeup artist for this movie and Freddy vs. Jason. Huh. How about that? So Rennie and Sean, they they go out the back of this diner and they see there's no way out. Like they can't get out of the alleyway, but there's an open manhole. So uh, they head down through it. Oh, two things. You remember that scene we talked about with Jason showing the punks his face? Mm-hmm. You took them to be punks, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, they got like mohawks and shit. Okay, because in the trivia here it says one of those members 
Dale Kahn, lead singer of the hardcore band Citizens Arrest, portrays one of the skinheads Jason encounters in Times Square. What? Are they supposed to be fucking skinheads? I didn't take them to be skinheads. They just came off as, like, you know, like, punks. Yeah, punks. They didn't, like, I didn't see any swastikas. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, kind of weird. But uh, you mentioned how they go down in the sewer. And they set that up in the movie. They showed a suit. They showed a manhole cover in the sewer. And I was waiting for one or two things to happen. I was either waiting for the Ninja Turtles to pop out of it. <laughs> or I was waiting for Chud. Do you like Chud? I do not. That movie freaks me out. I I don't know why. I think it's like the monster design. Uh, I think I think there's not enough Chud in Chud, but that's just me. It is a good movie, though. You know, I think we're seeing an origin story for the Ninja Turtles here, though, in this movie. Well, of the toxic waste. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So uh, to to run off of that point, so Reddy and uh, Sean they're running through the sewers. Well, all of a sudden the sewer worker hops out. Did you notice Cordell? When he pops out, he's got his, like, wrench up. He's ready to go. He's, like... Yeah, I noticed that. He's, like, ready to fucking throw down. And Did I like this when Rennie and Sean were running through the sewer. It almost kind of played, like, the scene from Terminator. When Connor and uh, Kyle Reeves are running through the hall and they're being chased by the T-100. T-100. No, but now that you say it, it kind of uh, it does kind of come off that way. The, the only difference is they keep cutting to Jason, but instead of following him, Jason, you know, takes a detour. <laughs> well, uh, this is when we find out from the sewer worker in the stupidest line ever. He's like, "Toxic waste. It floods uh, floods the sewers every night at midnight, which is about ten minutes from now." Yeah, we we don't got much time. We need to get out of here. I like to think that this guy here, Cordell, is like the cousin of Bucky from Friday, uh, Halloween 4, if you remember that guy. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? The fact that he's laughing tells me he does. <laughs> I swear to God, that's what I was thinking. I was like, okay, this guy, uh, you know how it's all connected. I'm like, this guy is like Bucky's brother. <laughs> don't be pulling any of that Halloween shit with me. <laughs> Oh, man, I love Bucky. (laughs) He's got his fucking name on his helmet. (laughs) Yeah, he kind of dies in Halloween 4, kind of like how Wayne died in this. He does. But yeah, so they're walking through with this uh, sewer worker, and about 30 seconds after we met him, of course, Jason pops out and grabs him. And uh, this guy gets a pretty brutal death, actually, because Jason grabs his wrench and... We see it in shadow, but he basically smashes the guy's head in with it. But we do get a really awesome blood splatter. Yeah, that is cool. Um, I think they shot this scene twice because I saw in the uh, special, fe- like the featurette, they showed this scene of Jason killing the killing this guy, but there was no blood splat- splatter on the wall. Oh, interesting. So I think they shot this scene twice, and then they snuck in the blood scene. 
But uh, you gotta give us something. Fuck the MPAA. Mm-hmm. Nah, I'm with you. But then we get. I know you like Rennie Cordell, but even you can't defend the line when she turns around and faces Jason, and we get quote, "You, you didn't, didn't get me in the league, you're and not you're not gonna me get me now." Oh my God. Yeah, that's that's not a, and that that line is terrible. But I love how Jason just kind of like walks towards her, and you hear like the footsteps echo in the sewer. Yeah, that's kind of cool. I forget how how does Sean get knocked out? Does Jason just like smack him or something? Like yeah, I think he just kind of gets bitch slapped. <laughs> yeah, Sean is back to being useless because Jason like knocks him out against the wall. Well, R- R- Rennie takes off running, and uh, she finds this like bucket of toxic waste. Which like if they're gonna flood it with toxic waste, why is there buckets of it lying around? Convenience. But she starts banging on it. Well, Jason turns around the corner and Rennie, who with her bare hands, I would be very scared. Oh. <laughs> yeah, no, she starts beating on the like lid of this thing and it starts like steaming like, girl, that's probably like, you know, like, you know how like if you shake a pop and like the pressure builds up mm-hmm. and then like you just open the bottle and it explodes. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like, and then when she when she tosses him on it, did you notice Cordell? She's got like one hand like inside the rib. Yeah, in the bucket. I'm like, your your fingers are gonna melt. What the fuck? Because we're gonna find out that this toxic waste, this isn't like something that's gonna cause like a skin rash. This is literally gonna cause you to fucking melt. Yeah, because she throws it on Jason, and uh, his fucking mask starts like melting and burning and he rips it off. And sadly, Cordell, we get the worst Jason makeup. What the fuck is this? You know what? I don't hate this makeup like most people do. I do think it looks a little Muppety. Well, here's the thing in this first scene, when he first rips it off and then, Starts roaring like Godzilla. Did you notice no, okay. that? The roaring. The roaring. What the fuck is with the roaring? The he literally sounds like a dinosaur. It is so stupid how he, like, Jason does not make a sound. Jason does not talk. Jason does not make noise. Well, hold that thought on Jason talking because there's a scene no, coming I'm up not going to hold that thought because this pit, like, that, that is what pisses me off. That is, like... That fucking scene in Halloween Resurrection when Buster Rhymes takes that uh, outlet and zaps fucking Michael Myers on the dick. (laughs) And Michael, like, goes flying back and he makes, like, this ooh sound. I hate that. Yeah, it's really fun. So I, I don't think the makeup looks, like, terrible here. I don't think it looks good. But later on, you know when, like, Jason is, like, stumbling around? Like, through the hallway. Oh, no, that looks like, bad. When they show his face, that looks terrible. That looks like they just fucking put a mask on Kane Hodder. It's awful. When he rips the hockey mask off and we see his face, and his face is all, like, steaming and everything from the weight, from the toxic. I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, okay, because if you look at his face, you know, his mouth is all coming. You, you figure he was underwater. For a few years after being pulled back down in part seven continuity be damned that half of his like teeth were showing 
<laughs> but like you see like the one like his one eye is kind of like all gooey goop like oozing out of his face mm-hmm. like something is oozing out of his eye socket yeah that part's cool like i don't think the makeup looks horrible i don't like i don't think the unmasked look looks horrible i don't like like when he's at the ladder and he's like mommy don't let me drown that looks bad and like when he pops out of the toxic waste and well i'm getting ahead of myself we'll talk about that (laughs) but yeah so so rennie runs back and grabs sean and jason's kind of just like uselessly stumbling around here and uh i know he's like a buster keaton so then uh, they get to this ladder and start, cro- like, you know, climbing up it. Well, there's a grate at the top that's, like, locked. Well, Jason pops out and grabs Rennie. But then they see the uh, all the lights start swinging in the hallway, right? Yeah, what is and, that? Yeah, I don't understand that at all. I think that's just to kind of show us that a fucking tidal wave is coming. Yeah, a toxic tidal wave. tidal wave is coming. And very weirdly, before it even hits him. Did you notice this, Cordell? Jason vomits up a bunch of water? Yes, I did. And actually, I have a fun piece of trivia about that. All right, let's get the trivia. According to an interview in Fangoria magazine from August 1989, Kane Hodder vomited on cue in the final scene after drinking several pitches of water. This was not a special effect. Jesus. That, that, see, that's dedication. I'm sorry it's for this movie game, but. But wh- why does Jason vomit up water before the waste hits him? I got nothing. <laughs> what, what does it mean? What the fuck does it mean? That sums up my whole experience with this movie, Cordell. What the fuck does it mean? I don't know. Okay, so let's get into it. So he vomits up water, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and we you know this whole movie we're getting like visions of a young drowned jason jason just soaked from being underwater and shit like that and the tidal wave of toxic water hits jason miraculously doesn't hit rennie but hits jason jason disappears under the waist for a few minutes and then he pops up and his face is just fucked. Like, it almost looks like wet claymation. Like it's oh, fallen in on itself. It looks pretty terrible, honestly. But now, okay, Cordell, the real question is, when, when Jason, when they we get the mommy, don't let me drown, is Jason saying that? Or is that just like Rennie's flashback? I don't know. Because I really, really hope to God Jason is not, like, saying that. <laughs> I really hope that isn't Jason's voice. <laughs> Holy shit. And then, for some reason, we cut outside and, like, lightning hits the Statue of Liberty. Okay, so I have a theory. Okay. So, as we see Jason... We start to see, like, his monstrous look starts to melt away, right? I guess so. Now, the director wanted this to be 
where they kill Jason, or at the very least, you know, they do something to Jason that reverts him back to a little boy, right? Ah, see, I, I, I fucking hate this, Cordell. I, I believe. I take this to be that the toxic waste is stripping away and removing the evil, monstrous nature of Jason. Like, the Jason that we know, the monster, the force of evil, the toxic waste is melting that and stripping it away. And what we're left with when the toxic waste is away is innocent little boy Jason. And the scene of the lightning hitting the Statue of Liberty, maybe that's like the evil power of Jason, you know, getting banished to hell or something. I hate that, Cordell. <laughs> I understand you hate it, but you asked me to try to make sense of it. That's what I'm giving you. Allow me to offer a... Okay. That all of this is in Rennie's head at the end. And here's what I noticed on this viewing I never had before. They do cut to Jason's mask floating through the toxic waste. Yeah. And did you notice, Cordell? It was kind of eaten away. Like there was some damage to it. Well, I mean, he did rip it off. And I thought to myself, no, but literally there's like chunks taken out of it. And I thought to myself, aha, what does that look like? It looks like the mask in Jason Goes to Hell. So let me fix all this for you. I firmly believe that child Jason never happens. That that's all just Rennie's hallucination. That but Jason that, gets. Is, is that possible? Because we're also like to take it that Sean sees this as well. I don't think that hard, Cordell. Here's what happens. Here's the canon. <laughs> You're Jason, like, God damn Jason it. Jason gets melted a little bit, right? By out, he gets swept by the toxic waste out to sea. He grabs his mask, puts it back on his face where it melts into his face, right? Setting up Jason goes to hell. And Jason quietly gets swept back down the Crystal Lake. Boom. Picture perfect. <laughs> you know what? That's my headcanon. I like your headcanon because that is the only thing that makes sense. I'll tell you what, that fucking toxic waste gave him some really nasty boils, though, on his head. Oh, I know. That's pretty nasty. Your he- I like your headcanon. In fact, your headcanon makes a lot of fucking sense. What I said is simply what I'm interpreting that the filmmakers were doing. See, I just, I hate the fucking idea that, like, oh, we swept. You know what they originally wanted to do? And they actually had, like, deleted outtakes footage of this. What did they originally want to do? They built like a giant. They they had hired this kid. I think it was one of the kids that was playing Kid Jason in this movie. And they built like a giant. Like. A giant head of the unmasked melted face like mush Jason. Mm -hmm. And you were supposed to have like this giant. Recreation of Jason's monstrous face. And between his teeth and between his mouth, you see Kid Jason, like, get, like, 
trying to cl- like climb his way out of like trying to climb his way out. Oh, that's awful. And like there was like toxic waste and water like swooshing everywhere and it 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 looked like something out of a shitty theme park ride to be honest. Well, thank God they did not go with that. <laughs> so I'm just saying what I think they were trying to show is like the evil of Jason has been melted away by the toxic waste and you're just left with the innocent kid, which really makes Rennie and Sean look bad because they just leave the kid there. Yeah, but again, that that makes you like have to accept that like Jason gets reverted and they leave a literal kid in the sewers, which I think is just a dumb fucking ending. So I'm going to go with my ending, Cordell. (laughs) Well, I'm going to go with your ending, too, because it makes sense of why Jason looks like he does in part uh, nine. Right. Why does he look so fucked up? Because the acid has melted his mask to his face. Embrace it, Cordell. Embrace it. I'm embracing it. I'm just asking you to not embrace, but just understand what I like. My interpretation was. As shitty as it is. But, uh, yeah, of course, we have to fucking end that they get out and, you know, they embrace and we get the POV camera and who should show up. But fucking Toby. Chud. Chud. Yo, how would how great would this movie be if it ended with a fucking Chud popping out? (laughs) That would be amazing. (laughs) That or one of the fucking Ninja Turtles. You know, know, I thought about the turtles a lot in this movie because there were some scenes where when I looked at Rennie and her hair got all frizzy, I'm like, God damn, she kind of looks like April from the first Ninja Turtles film. Oh, uh, Judith Hogue. Mm hmm. (laughs) She kind of looked like April O'Neil and I'm like, this movie came out, what, maybe four years before the... uh, about a year before the first Ninja Turtles movie did? Yeah, right before it, I think. Because the first one came out, what, 1990? Yes. I believe so. Um, But yeah, I mean, should we beat around the bush, Cordell? The movie ends. We at least finish off on Dark Side of the Night, thank God, so it's not <laughs> a total waste. Toby shows up. It's like, where the fuck were you guys all movie? <laughs> but yeah, that's that's Jason Takes Manhattan. Oh, man. Okay, and I'm going to finish this out with a couple of trivia. All right, hit us, Cordell. Most of the cast had a Friday the 13th marathon and watched parts one through seven the day prior to shooting. They were intent on making part eight the best one. Uh huh. Sure, they were. During production, many of the cast and crew began calling the movie Jason Takes Vancouver, (laughs) which I think is what a lot of people refer to this movie as. I mean, that's that's literally what it is. (laughs) The only Friday the 13th film to have a blooper reel on the DVD and Blu ray. That's interesting. I'll have to check that out. Um, 
Director Rob Hedden had previously worked as a writer for Paramount on MacGyver, but what he really wanted to do was direct. So when the studio asked him to write for Friday the 13th, the series, he said he'd only do it if he could also direct. They hated the sound of that, but two months later, they were still desperate for writers, so they gave in, hired Hedden, and let him direct two episodes of the TV series. The studio was impressed enough with Hedden's work behind the camera to offer him the job to write and direct this movie. Have you ever seen Friday the 13th, the series? No, I haven't. I've heard it's terrible, though. I watched the first episode, and I said, fuck this. I mean, you know what's funny? I did just watch the first two episodes of Nightmare on Elm Street, the series, which was, eh, it was all right. (laughs) Oh, God. Okay, here we go. The movie was falsely titled Ashes to Ashes while filming in New York City to avoid fan interruptions. This fake title was also used in the script to prevent auditioning actors from knowing and reviewing what film they were making. In the fake titled script, Jason was renamed Ethan. Ethan? Oh my god. Beware of Ethan Voorhees. <laughs> um... Feature film debut of actress Kelly Hugh, who plays Eva. She's the first Asian character in the franchise. I think the last, because I haven't seen an Asian character in this franchise since. Um, There was one in part two, I think. But yeah, there's not a lot in this series. Oh, right here. A question we had earlier. The subway car chase wasn't inside an official NYC subway. The Only the exterior shots were real. Ah, we should have known. Yeah, it was. We could have only have. Uh, we could have only have wished. So they for New York, they really only filmed the Times Square stuff then, right? Yeah, and I'm sure, like, the shots of, like, the Twin Towers and that were probably, like, you know, B-roll footage from another movie. Oh, yeah, 100%. Many fans disliked Jason's unmaskingness in this as it was deemed unconvincing and unintimidating. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's terrible. Um, oh, here you go. <laughs> this might actually make you kind of, uh... This might actually make you laugh. They fully intended for Rennie, their virtuous good girl, to have a nude scene, thus rebuking slasher norms in which only the slutty girls show skin. They simply forgot to cast an actress who would agree to it. (laughs) That's hilarious. The director repeatedly worked on wearing Jensen Daggett down, pointing to examples of notable actresses who had done nudity without causing damage to their careers. First, he asked her to go nude. She declined. Then maybe just topsis. She declined. Finally, he requested that she at least take off her blouse. She still declined. See, that sounds like the director's kind of a creep. I don't know. That sounds like some Harvey Weinstein shit. Yeah, I know, right? Like, ew. Um, Dee Dee Pfeiffer and Elizabeth Berkley auditioned for the role of Rennie. I don't know who either one of those people are. Never heard of them. I don't know. Dee Dee Pfeiffer, is that like a relation to Michelle Pfeiffer? Uh, it might be her younger sister now that I think about it. 
But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it, see, film- that's why I want to watch with the commentary because I feel like the making of this movie is probably more interesting than the actual movie. Um, let's see. The film takes place one year after the events of Part Seven. One of only three Friday the 13th movies not to be scored by Harry Manfredini. And it shows. Oh, yeah, the score was terrible in this movie. Oh, here you go. Um, Remember how we were talking about how many kid Jasons there were? Mm-hmm. The original child actor cast as Jason struggled with the underwater scenes. Luckily, the editor, Steve Makovich... Steve Makovich's similarly-aged son, Tim, was visiting the set that day and was able to play the part. Aha! We have our answer. Uh, the score for this movie was written by was written by Fred Marlin, Fred Molin, who wrote the score for Friday the 13th, Part 7. Um... The trailer was narrated by Percy Rodriguez, which I don't even think means anything unless people watch the trailer. You know, I'm going to go ahead. I love that trailer, dude. When It's a good trailer. Like when the narrator goes, Friday the 13th, part eight, Jason takes Manhattan. Now, New York has a new problem. I love that. I love that trailer. It is a it is a good uh, it is a good trailer. It's a lot like um, Leverface, Texas Chainsaw Massacre Three, where they show like Leverface standing by a lake and getting the chainsaw. And none of the footage is in the uh, movie. Oh, when the hand comes out like the Lady of the Lake and throws him the chainsaw. Yeah, that was pretty good. That was a pretty good trailer. It is a good trailer. It's it's a similar kind of thing. In two thousand four, in a two thousand four interview. With director Bob Hedden, his original idea for the movie was for it to be a crossover with Freddy Krueger. But much like in 1987, Paramount couldn't get the rights to use Freddy nor come up with an agreement to make both studios happy. Freddy vs. Jason wouldn't get made made until 14 years later. That's news to me. I didn't know they wanted Freddy in this. Huh. I didn't know that either. That's interesting. Uh, Safran Henderson, who played Tamara, was voted number 12 in the list of top 12 boobs in the Friday the 13th franchise. What? For what? Um, wait, did Safran Henderson play Tamara? I want to make sure that's, someone might have fucked up on that. Let's see here, Safran. No, Safran Henderson is listed as J.J., well, she definitely should not be on that list. JJ never even showed her boobs. The only tit shot I remember we got in this movie. It's at the start with uh, yeah. whoever played Susie. Like Tamara didn't. We didn't even get like a titty shot from Tamara, did we? We only saw her butt. Nah, not really. That is weird. That somebody fucked up on that. Forget, scratch that piece of trivia, people. 
contact the makers of this list. God damn. I'm not saying that the actress who played uh, JJ isn't attractive, but she did not show titty to get on that list. You guys have your information wrong. God damn it. You hear that? All right, Cordell. Yep, and I think that's really all the that's really kind of all the interesting trivia for this movie. So I guess we should get to our we should get to it. So Luke Friday the 13th, part eight, Jason takes Manhattan. You know, it's been forever since I saw this movie and I had fond memories, Cordell. I really did. I remembered the knockout scene. I was like, yeah, it's Jason on a boat, but it's fine. You only get two options in this. You get either big O or you get cut your dick off. (laughs) Here's the deal, people. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. The only reason to watch this movie is for Kane Hodder. And Dark Side of the Night. And here's the issue. This movie is an hour and 40 minutes long. And there is not enough Kane Hodder. And there's not enough Dark Side of the Night. This is the epitome of a movie. Just go on YouTube. Watch the boxing scene. Watch some of the kills. Listen to Dark Side of the Night. Other than that, this movie fucking sucks. Rennie and Sean, worst protagonists in the series. Just the ending is a disjointed mess. None of this shit makes any sense. Part seven's better. Part six is better. Part five's better. Jason goes to hell doesn't make like makes no sense too. But at least Jason goes to hell has really good gore, like lots of tits. It's got all these hilarious lines. You know what I mean? Like fucking Kane Hodder's like, yeah, we took out that pussy Jason Voorhees, right? Like shit like that. Crichton Duke, right? There's more entertainment in Crichton Duke's first scene than there is in this whole movie. I think of a little girl in a pink dress sticking a hot dog to a donut. This movie wishes it had a knockoff Creighton Duke. You know what I mean? This movie wishes it stuck a hot dog into a donut? This movie sucks dick. This movie is fucking terrible. And I got to say, I don't know, man. I just hate it. I, I did not have a good time with this movie. Oh, I'm cutting the dick off. Oh my god, I can't wait, believe wait, 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 wait. we got to cut we got to cutting the dick off and it was Jason Takes Manhattan that did it. This movie fucking sucks. I cannot stress that enough. For the love of God, don't watch this movie. Well, if you're a Friday completist, you have to watch this movie. And Kane Hodder's scenes are pretty good. But other than that, I hate this movie. <laughs> Simple as that, Cordell. Oh, well, I think we're going to fight then. Because I do not think that this is the worst movie in the Friday the 13th franchise. No way. Honestly, I think the worst movie in the Friday the 13th franchise has got to be the remake. I do not like the Friday the 13th remake. They they tried to, I mean, with that movie, they tried to throw too much at it to please the fans, and it was just not a good remake. We'll get to the remake at some point on this show. Now, 
I have not revisited this movie in probably five to six years. Usually when I watch Friday the 13th, I watch part six. That is my favorite. Mm. But I am very forgiving of this movie. And it's probably because I know, like, you, you cannot deny that there was a vision for this movie. They wanted to shoot this in New York. They wanted Jason going to Manhattan. And I think a lot of the blame really can be put on Paramount. Paramount did not want to give them the budget. In fact, they had a high budget and Paramount kept taking money out of the budget. So what we are left with is a very, very compromised film. There are some fun kills in this movie. I think Julius's death, Tamara's death, the deaths at the beginning. You know, there was some fun stuff in this movie. I know I probably came off sounding like a hater in this during our review of this. And yeah, when you have to sit down and talk about it, you know, this movie is a clusterfuck. But I have fun with this movie. This is truly one of my top five guilty pleasures. So, no, I'm not going to cut my dick off for this movie. I am going to give this movie a medium. Who? I'm not giving it a high. I'm not giving it a big O. I'm giving it a medium. A medium. Unfortunately, you are correct in a lot of your criticism. This movie does have some pretty, like, this this plot is stupid. This script was not thought out. The dialogue in this is stupid. You know, I think Rennie, I think the actress who played Rennie in this was... You know, I appreciate. I I have a more of appreciation for her attractiveness watching the Blu-ray of this, but I don't think they gave Rennie a good story. They should not have tried to connect Rennie to Jason. I yeah, do- I mean, ultimately, that that's a big killer for me. If I can just interject quick, is the whole Rennie backstory with Jason. Nothing comes of it, right? And it's like if you're not going, just don't have it. Then you get what I mean. Like if you're not going to do anything with it, like don't do it. <laughs> yeah, I really think. I mean, look at Megan in Jason Lives. She's more or less a minor character in my opinion right mm-hmm. the movie's focused more on jason and tommy than it is and megan's just kind of there you know to be a love interest for tommy mm-hmm. but she's a fun character she's she, a she like she, defies her dad you know she takes off with tommy you know alice i don't think the woman that played alice in the original Friday the 13th is particularly attractive, not even ni- in 1980. But you got something to her. She was an artist. She was a good girl. She liked to have fun, but she liked to, you know, play it safe. 
Rennie, I think, got robbed of that. Because they, first of all, they paired her with a very boring love interest. I do not think Sean is a good love interest in this movie. In fact, I can see why most of his career has been playing soap operas. Oh, so, that's half the problem, man, is Rennie, Rennie is bad and she has nobody to play with. Right. That's, and, and that's what I think. Rennie is bad because she doesn't have anyone good to play off of. And that's what I'm thinking, because I'm like, if I can interject, Cordell, is the is chopping my dick off a little harsh for this movie? But here's the problem is literally I don't like Rennie. I don't like Sean. McCulloch isn't even a fun douchebag. He's just a fucking dickhead. The teacher is a non-entity. Julius is the only character, the only one who even gets like a slim amount of fun. And don't get me wrong, it pays off in his fucking boxing scene. But other than that, like there's nobody. I hate everyone. Yeah, really the only two characters in this movie that have anything going for them is uh, Julius and Jason. Because Jason gets some fun stuff to do, like some fun visuals in this movie. I mean, look, even the dog Toby got fucking tired of this movie. It just disappeared for long periods of the film. Yeah, I mean, you contrast it with Jason Lives, right? You got Court, you got all those people are fun. They're likable, right? They're they're this movie is just unpleasant. And you know what I mean? And like I said, I really put a lot of the blame to that, to the fact that they went into this movie. They had a vision for it. They knew what they wanted to do. And Paramount just said, no, we we don't really want to keep making these movies anymore. We're not going to give you what the money you want to do what you want. I mean, let's face it, dude. I mean, we've seen that in a lot of movies where they have a vision and then the studio won't give them the money. And what we get is a good idea. But the final product is shit. You know, Jason going to Manhattan is a fantastic idea. The problem is, is he's too fucking focused on chasing Sean and Rennie. He should be killing various New Yorkers. He should be going to the Empire State Building or the World Trade Center or Liberty Island or for fuck's sake. Have him go to a Broadway play of cats and start fucking killing cats. But they don't do that. But this movie for me is a guilty pleasure. There are some things in this movie that some people might like. And the song Darker Side of the Night is a terrific song. It's one of my favorite songs that came out of this franchise, like with Man Behind the Mask from Part 6 or His Eyes from Part 5. It is a good song. It is a good song. I will give you that. So I'm not going to give this the highest of recommends. I'm not cutting my dick off. I am going to give it at a solid medium. It is not great. It is not horrible. It is just, unfortunately, as I say this, it is just what it is. It is a compromised and very lackluster 
um, product of what would pretend, what should have potentially have been one of the greatest Friday movies if they had been allowed to do what they wanted to do. And I mean, let's just talk about it. It's the fact that this movie underperformed is what led Paramount to selling the rights to Warner Brothers, which gave us Jason Goes to Hell. Oh, Jason New Line. Uh, yes, Freddy versus Jason. New Line is currently owned by Warner Brothers, which is why I said that. Well, and here's the thing is if you watch the Crystal Lake Memories documentary, Paramount was kind of getting tired of this franchise anyway. They didn't know what they had. Like, and, and that's the contrast between Paramount and New Line is New Line is proud of being the house that Freddie built. Like, they take pride in knowing that they created a whore icon. Paramount was always embarrassed by Friday the 13th. Because mm-hmm. Paramount is one of those hoity-toity companies that thinks that well, we make family films. We make serious films. We make dramas. We, we don't... make stuff like Torah, Torah, Torah. <laughs> uh, well, actually, that was 20th Century Fox. No, I know. I was making a joke. But Paramount never fully appreciated what they had in Friday the 13th. And quite frankly, I think now they're starting to realize that. Because if you notice, like... It wasn't New Line that was on the 2009 remake. It was Paramount. Did you ever notice that? I did notice that, yes, with uh, Platinum Dunes. And when they come out with Jason figures and stuff like that, it's usually with the Paramount logo. Uh And And sometimes they got New Line on there, but they know damn well what they have now but when this movie came out they did not appreciate the franchise or the fans enough to give this movie what it should have been given to be a great jason movie so that's my final verdict on this i'm giving it a solid medium fair enough fair enough i don't (laughs) agree but I see what you're saying. I don't know. I like I said. I I really feel like had this had this movie had a bigger budget, we probably would have both be here sucking this movie's dick. <laughs> oh, a hundred percent, dude. And I mean, if you want some dick with this movie, you can always go get that scene of Kane Hodder wearing a strap on during <laughs> the making of this. I know what we're doing tomorrow night. <laughs> so. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us for this episode of Cinecult Podcast. You may yeah, find you, you may find me on Facebook at Cordell J. Calkins. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at SpookyPotato94. Um, go ahead and let them know how they can get a hold of you, Luke. Oh, I'm mostly on the Facebook group of the Killer Reviews site where we post about horror news and other random movie bullshit. So give the group a join and check us out. All right. And we will be back next time to give you another awesome movie review. Until then, you all have a wonderful evening. Thank you for joining us, guys. Take it easy, guys.
Just gotta see it through. 